game of basketball has taken us places we can never imagine. For winning four EuroLeague titles, playing six years in five countries, and making connections with people from all around the world. We have stories that can last a lifetime. All right, now it's time to tell yours. When I met Michael Jordan for the first time, and still to this day, if I see him, he's he's glowing. I, it just came down to, like I said, looking myself in the mirror, like, brother, you really do you want to play ball or not? I've never been in an environment like Euroleague, because you know, living over here in Europe, bro, how we kings over this term, bro. All right. <laughs> Denver Thuggets. <laughs> Appreciate y'all having us on here. This is Hoop Tales. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Hoop Tales. Today, I got my main guy. Um, you know, one of my, you know, somebody I battle with, you know, many times throughout this, you know, whole EuroLeague journey. Um, he's definitely one of the most athletic, um, dynamic, you know, guys in EuroLeague history. Um, a legend over there, in my opinion. Um, my guy, James Gifts. James, what's up, man? What's going on, Kyle, man? Appreciate you having me on uh, the podcast and everything. Appreciate it, man. Really, man it's, it's really big on what you're doing. Appreciate uh, it, bro. Thanks for having me. Uh, first off, man, we, we got to talk about, you know, the whole COVID-19 situation. So, you know, kind of talk about, you know, how you and your family doing right now. Um, you know, kind of what you've kind of been going through um, last last uh, last month or so, and then walk us through kind of like the situation in, in, in Belgrade and Serbia, um, you know, kind of like, you know, your decision to come back. Yeah, uh, I mean, when the, the whole COVID-19 thing broke out, you know, I think it started out, you know, it started out big in China, you know, as everybody knows, and then it started, uh, you know, within the basketball community, I think, touching down in Italy really heavy. And, uh, you know, everybody, you know, for us, at least wasn't being affected by it. You know, I'm yeah. not sure how Russia, Belgrade, it wasn't, it wasn't there Same. yet. Same. Um, you know, Spain, uh, I mean, there was a few cases, but, you know, a lot of the other countries weren't really having experiences that Italy was having. So, you know, we were kind of just playing it cool, waiting to see what was going to happen, kind of like everybody else, mm -hmm. waiting. And then uh, I think we were going to play Madrid. Uh, one of the players from Madrid came down with it. And that morning, they released it, you know, saying that, you know, once somebody from Madrid, you know, got tested positive, so they canceled the game, which was like the Belgrade that evening. And then once that happened, it's like, all right, so now we know we don't have a real game right now. We're not sure about, you know, Adriatic League at the time. And so I'm sitting there talking to my wife, you know, and the fam, like, you know, basically, you know, we need to wait and see a couple of days, at least see what's happening. Yeah. There, you know, we need to make sure that we're okay. You know, as players, we just came from Spain, we need to make sure that we're okay. So we'll see what the team says. Um, you know, and they were trying to practice, you know, when we got back because nobody knew exactly what the time frame was going to be on one game right again, which is understandable. Nobody knew nothing. Yeah. Uh, us, you know, we just kind of had to play the waiting game. And when I seen that, you know, leagues were considering stopping and, and the suspension was going to go more than a month and that we weren't sure when we were going to practice and that countries were starting to close borders, you know, my wife and I, you know, I made the decision, you know, especially talking to my family back in the States, you know, what was going on. I have got people that are within the government as well. Um, and they were saying that, you know, things are going to start getting a little tight right now, so you should probably make a move if you can. And so now was the situation, you know, it was, I got the family, got my kids. You know, we're not playing basketball. When I travel to Europe, I'm not going over there to live. I'm going to stay home there to hoop. You know? yeah. We're not right. hooping. You know, 
know, in the time, you know, payments have stopped now because, you know, of everything going on, which is also understandable. But, you know, what are we doing over here? If we just sit here and then we got to be on lockdown right. in, in, the, in the house the whole time in another country, you know, I feel like I got more resources here in the States than I do in Serbia. You know, yeah, I got some people that I know, but I don't speak the language. You know, if anything would actually go down and we had to be in this situation, I would rather be in the comfort of my home in America. So that was kind of the decision that uh, me and my family made to come back here. You know, we stayed low. It's been a month or so. I've only seen my parents once, you know, maybe twice, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that, we've been here at the house, you know, just out the way. My daughter, she has an uh, online school, so helping her with that. My son, he running around crazy, you know, two-year-old. <laughs> I look at her and I stop it. Uh, so, I mean, we just trying to manage time, you know, here at the house. That's what's up, man. So, uh, what, what is your forecast about, you know, our season and just basketball in general? Do you see, you know, you see basketball coming back? at all, um, especially your league? I, I personally believe that it will come back, you know, more so from the business standpoint. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, you know, with the losses and everybody's taking, you know, from the business side, you see the economic value of a cancellation of a season is, is huge. So I think that they're going to try to force us to push, you know, to have some type of uh, conclusion of the season. I don't think it's yeah. going to end like that. Uh, but I feel like it should. I feel like it should be over. I feel like, you know, at the end of the day, what can we do? You know, we can't really do much. You know, we can't guarantee that coming back as soon as it's done. Like, I mean, the whole world is shut down for like a month. You know, I feel like you can't just come back a month later and be like, okay, we're ready to go. You yeah. know, I mean, some of the gymnasiums, I mean, they were using, you know, as extra space for medical, you know, to take care of people. Right. The one of y'all playing in Belgrade that was using, I think. Yeah, for- exactly, exactly. We using both of those too. So, I mean, and I mean, in other, other cities as well, other countries yeah. as well. So, you know, how can you guarantee that, you know, these facilities are going to be safe? You know, how are they going to be clean quick enough? You know, I mean, like, granted, we're probably not going to have games with fans at the end of the day, but, I mean, still, it's just the, the safety of the players. You can't guarantee anything. Everything right. is just it's the first time it happens, so you don't know how much time you really need to take to make sure that nothing else comes up or nothing else happens, you know. So I think that it shouldn't go on, but I think that it will. Yeah. All right, so let's jump into your childhood, man. You know, you didn't have a traditional childhood. Um grew up in the Air Force home. So so talk about what that was like, you know, growing up overseas and and just, you know, coming up different than the average person. I mean, for me, um, I think that kind of helped me out in general, you know, preparing for the life that I'm playing as a professional basketball player overseas, you know, to be honest, you know, just foreshadowing, I mean, looking looking back, hindsight's 2020. But yeah, growing up in a military family, like, uh, you know, my older sister uh, was born in California. I was born in Turkey. I don't remember much of it, you know, because I was a baby when we left. But uh, I think I spent a year there, maybe. Uh, my little sister was born in Nebraska, so we moved to Nebraska after that. After Nebraska, we spent three years there. Moved to Germany. I lived in Germany for four years. Um, and I came back, I moved back to D.C. I was like seven, seven, eight years old. I lived here ever since. Um, and so, yeah, traveling around, I went first and fourth grade in Germany. On a, on a military airbase, it's like being in America because you want American soil. It's not like you're just in Germany. I mean, you could lead a base and you get to see Germany for what it is. But other than that, you know, you, you experience life as if you're in America on those type of bases. So I went to school there. It was cool. Um, played soccer first. Then I got into basketball. Did baseball for a little bit. I was really good at baseball. Turned that uh, down. After I seen somebody get hit by a pitch, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> It was over. <laughs> I said, and I played first base and I played pitcher as well too. So it was just like 
you know, that was just my thing. But once I seen that, I said, nope, I went right back to basketball and I just stuck it out. <laughs> Love. You gotta uh you gotta talk about DMV, man. I know I know DMV is is huge for you, the whole Maryland, you know, uh DC, Virginia area. Uh, I know yeah. that's you know, you and your go go music, I know you on that. I rock that everywhere I go. Y'all see hey. everybody that know me. I'm still I'm still trying to figure about this bumbo sauce, man. I'm still trying. Yeah. Hey, look, <laughs> you know, we got when we meet up, we get the white people, we get the family together, and everything. Yeah, come together, and we gonna bring it. We got the sauce in the house. Yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's talk about you know growing up in growing up in the DMV and you know the legendary hoops out there and, and all that. So talk about that. Yeah, I mean when I think about it now, it's crazy, you know, because. Coming up, you know, seven, eight years old, you're looking at all the guys that, you know, have stayed on that path the same way as me, you know, to play professionally up until this point. You know, guys that have stayed and guys that have fell off and was, you know, highly tied and highly ranked. Like, the DMV was always really competitive, especially the AAU circuit. Yeah. You know, you had you had middle school, you had the high schools, you know, you had those, uh, you know, the city titles and those things were, were lit. But the AAU circuits back then, was everything you know you had the the, the teams in, in the dmv area that was always competing but the top ones was always uh dc blue Devils, or at the time it was potomac valley blue Devils, but you had mm -hmm. blue Devils, and then you had dc assault which i think is now a team takeover or something like that I'm not sure but uh you know the competition was so high coming up at that age group man going from eight and under to ten and under to twelve and i remember going to twelve and under nationals i think we finished like eighth in the nation you know, it was crazy that year. We was in Orlando, uh, so I mean, you know, the, the trips every other weekend, every other month when that circuit started up was crazy, you know, and it was always, you know, basketball was always a big thing in the DMV area, you know, growing up until now. Who's uh, who your influence? Who was my number one influence as a basketball player? Yeah, like, yeah. Um... Honestly, I never really had one person that I say, you know, he's the main influence of me. I'll say that what, like, started me getting into, like, playing basketball or even trying it out was uh, I was living in Germany, and me and my dad was watching, uh, I don't know, Eastern Conference Finals or something, but Orlando, when Shaq and Penny was there, was playing mm -hmm. in Chicago, and they in Orlando had won. I mean, the game was crazy. They were going back and forth, back and forth. And at the end of that game, my dad had asked me if I wanted to play basketball. He's like, you want to try it out? Play. And I was like, yeah, you know, whatever. I tried it. I was a kid. I was down for whatever. You know, so I uh, tried it out, and it just happened to be something that ended up sticking with me for the rest of my life. Who's your, uh, who's your favorite um, D.C. Hooper of all time? Favorite D.C. Hooper? Somebody that I never actually got to play, I mean, see play, mm -hmm. but who I, I kind of idolized is Lynn Bias. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, he was a huge player that came out of Maryland University, uh, went top in the draft. You know, for those who don't know, he died of an overdose, you know, a couple nights after the draft. So, I mean, that was crazy news. And they were saying, you know, maybe they might not be a Michael Jordan if that bias was, you know, here. They were saying he was better, you know, more athletic, he was bigger, he was a better shooter, you know, all kind of stuff like that. So, I watched a lot of documentaries, a lot of video on him as a player coming out of this area, per se. But, um, you know, for, I guess to say, right now, for players that have made it out and are still, you know, doing something with this, so I'll probably say right now it'd be KD. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. You know, he ain't really doing his thing. He can put the city on his back, man. And he really, really, you know, represented well. You know, we got a lot of players that come from this area, don't get me wrong, including Baltimore. I know a lot of people don't include Baltimore in the DMV, but Baltimore is still part of Maryland. Like, you got players that come from this whole area, Maryland, D.C., Virginia, that really represent well. Yeah, crazy thing about you talk about Lynn Bias, my, um, you know, one of my mentors is somebody that, um, when I was in college, uh, Keith Gatlin, who you yeah. know, went to University of Maryland, he was, you know, he was super tight with Lynn Bias, and I was like, you know, his main guy, so he would tell me stories about Lynn Bias all the time. It was like, right. you know what I mean, like, like the things he would tell me about him, like, that he, like, literally became, like, one of my favorite players. Like, I got, like you said, I've never seen him play, but right. just, like, the, the influence and everything, like, he had, and just, like, Keith talking about him. I was like, yo, he was cold, man. He was I mean, cold. you see the highlights, and it's like, dang, like, I wish. Imagine, just like imagine if the NBA he had been in the league to be able to just see what he had. Because he did it at the collegiate level. I mean, he was killer. Yeah. You know, killer was watching the world. Especially guys like us who were athletic, who like to dunk, who like to put on a show. Yeah. You look at that and like, dang, he was on a whole other level with it. Facts, like, he, I mean, when he went to the – that team in Boston, like he would have came right around that time, like right around that era where that had been like ridiculous, like him I'm and Bird. Telling like, you, I'm telling you, the game might have changed. It might be yeah. a different game. It might be, it might not be a Jordan. I'm rocking Jordan right now. It might not yeah. be. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <It's somebody. laughs> hey, Aaron Letty, man. <laughs> a lot of people don't know about that. A lot of people don't yeah. know about that. Um, but it's good. Lynn is probably somebody. This area that I wish I would have got a chance to see, man. I wish I would have got a chance to see him play. Mm-hmm. He was just watching the highlights so he was making. All right, so we, we got to talk about your high school days now. You ended up going to Our Lady, which is a all-boys school. Let's talk about the competition within the league, you know. One it, was of the- it was co-ed. I didn't mean to cut you off. It was co-ed. Oh, it was co-ed? Okay. Yeah. All right, my bad. Like, being young and naive, that was one of the things that kept me from going to, like, Gonzaga and Damascus was because, you know, those are two, those are all boys schools. And I was just like, man, I don't know. Like, I, I can't yeah. do the all boy thing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's the same, it's the same, same All boys schools be the ones that get the best, you know, the ones with the all girls schools, like it goes down to the dance and things yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I told the council, yeah. Um, and I, I mean, the crazy thing was I went to a DC public school. I grew up in DC, you know, and good council, uh, if y'all knew how, Maryland laid out is about a good 45 minute ride from where I was living, you know, by car. So I was taking two trains. I was going Metro when I was in high school from freshman year to senior year. I was taking the Metro, you know, two trains, two buses, damn near a two hour commute every day to that school to get up there. They recruited me, you know, I was coming from East Coast. It was a whole different lifestyle too. Okay, I'm from where school isn't really like the biggest thing. You know, I had, I went to middle school. We went through eight Spanish teachers one year. We just show up to school and get a seat. You know, it was like that. But then having to go to a school like Good Council, which is the private school, one of the best schools in the country at the time, you know, and still to this day, you know, has a high graduation rate. You know, they send a lot of kids to Ivy League schools. You know, I mean, it goes, the list goes on for their resume, how, how good of a school it is. Uh, and I was able to go there under recruitment. Um, which was, you know, beneficial for me. At the time, there was a guy named Amari Israel who was playing there. And at the time, he was ranked ahead of LeBron, I think, going into sophomore season. So it was there. I shot him, and I was like, man, this is 
I get to see them play. And at the time, the WCAC was so lit with DeMatha, Gonzaga, you know, Paul the Six. Those teams, they had so many guys who were going to all the top D1 schools and guys that was even going straight to the league from, you know, high school at the time. Um, so, I mean, high school during that time was really competitive, you know, in the area. Again, you know, that, that WCAC schedule was, was one of the top schedules in the, in, in the country at the time. I want to say top five. Yeah, definitely. 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 That's something I was going to ask you about, like, yeah, who were some of the hoopers in that league that you came up with? Yeah, yeah, McDonald's All-Americans, everything. Guys who played the Jordan Capital Classics, you know, those those were the games everybody wanted to play in coming out of high school before you go to college or you made it to the league. We had a lot of guys coming out of here uh, that, was, that was doing that. You have any uh, memorable games, like a game? From high school? Yeah, from high school. Um, the one game that I found out that Maryland was actually coming to recruit me, you know, like when I went to high school, I was so oblivious to like how things work. You know, I didn't know how to get to college or how to get to the league. You know, I liked the NBA. I watched it. I was like, dang, I want to go there one day. But knowing all the stuff <laughs> now, I didn't know none of that stuff. I wasn't yeah. I liked basketball because it was fun for me. It kept me out of trouble. That was the main reason I played basketball. And I just so happened to be good at it. I got better at it as time went on. But I never did it. In my mind, thinking like, this is my goal, this is where I'm gonna get, this is where I'm gonna go. You know, I wanna get there, this is how I'm gonna do it. I had no plan on that. You know, my parents weren't aware of that. They just wanted me to get a great education. They said, shit, with you basketball, get there, we don't gotta pay for it, why not? Yeah. So, you know, that was kind of my thing. So, with the, the high school thing, I wasn't, I don't know. It, it, it was different for me. It was different. It was real different trying to figure out, you know, how I was gonna try to get to where I, where I ended up coming to Maryland. So, so what? So basically, like you, you kind of already, you know, answered the question. But like, you know, what what made you decide to go to University of Maryland, um, and what other schools were recruiting at the time? I wanted to go to University of Kentucky. That was like really? kind of my dream school to go to. Yeah. There at the time, uh, and during this time, this is around the time that nine eleven had happened, and my dad was in the military. Okay. And uh, he, after nine eleven had happened, you know, planes hit the Pentagon, they hit the Twin Towers, and everything after that happened. My dad, you know, he was so deep into the stuff, he had to leave for 24 hours, went to the Pentagon, tried to figure out what was going on and everything, and then the next day comes back, like, I gotta go to Korea for a year. This is my whole junior year. My whole year that I'm like, you know, choosing a process to what college I'm gonna go to, all yeah. the college gonna recruit me. So now I'm just stuck with my mom and my uncle. We have no idea how the process goes, nothing. So we just hear like, all right, we just gonna go in. You know, everybody make it fit. <laughs> You know, I'm getting letters. I'm like, letters coming in left and right. I never had nothing like this happen before. I didn't know what to expect. Letters coming in left and right. My first letter was like Notre Dame. Mike Bray was the coach, and he signed it, written all everything. So I was hyped to see all this stuff. And so going through the process, you know, we had Gary Williams come in, uh, coach from uh, Kentucky. Tubby Smith came in. Uh, Buzz Peterson from Tennessee came in. You know, coaches from all over were coming in at the time to – talked to me and so one of the most memorable games was when I found out uh, taking it back to that question was when I found out Maryland was recruiting we were playing Gonzaga and they were actually there to see another player from my team mm-hmm. and they you know come to find out Jimmy Passos and Gary Williams were in the crowd I didn't know and they were there and wasn't even like, thinking about it yeah, they weren't thinking about it I was going in my sophomore year I think and they were like you know we want to watch this kid so for my sophomore year they were watching I had no idea that was one of the most memorable games coming from high school but yeah the choosing process I want to go to Kentucky and it came out of my final five was Kentucky, Maryland, uh, UVA, Providence, and uh, Georgetown. Mm-hmm. And um, 
Kentucky came. They said, we got one scholarship that we want to offer, but we want to try to give it to Dwight Howard. And I was like, man, Dwight Howard going to, you know, the league. Right. You know, I think my high school class was crazy that year. I feel like like 16 players might have went to the league that year. Trying yeah. to get the you know, um, and uh, so they were like, we're going to try to offer Dwight Howard. If he doesn't take it, we're going to offer you. And I was just like, man, if y'all don't want to offer me the first one, then I feel like y'all don't really want me. Yeah. That's just kind of what I felt. And again, my dad wasn't here with me in the process. Me, my mom, my uncle, we just like, you know, we just looking at it from a personal standpoint. But at the same time, you know, I got a chance to go to school for free. Y'all are offering me to come there. Like, I just feel like if the scholarship is there, y'all really want me, y'all want me, I'm going to get it. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, Maryland ended up coming off the, the national championship. I mean, back-to-back runs to the Final Four. You know, it was a hometown team. Um, they showed a high interest. It was supposed to be me and Rudy Gay coming in as a freshman. So I figured we would have a big class. And last minute, Rudy Gay ended up going to UConn. Um, but uh, it was – I don't see why not. It was ideal. Homeschool, big school, education was good. Basketball was good. It was like, why leave? I can stay in the area and come here. What was it like playing for Coach uh, Gary Williams? How was y'all relationship? We ended up having a really good relationship. You know, Gary is a really good, genuine person. Really good, genuine person. Um, humble. Um, somebody who really loves the game of basketball. He really taught me how to love the game of basketball. You know, I liked it just from a standpoint of it was fun. You know, I enjoyed playing it, but I never understood the game of basketball. Gary taught me to be a student of the game. Taught me to watch video. Taught me, you know, everything. If you really want to be a great basketball player, this is how you have to be. He was a really intense coach. I mean, he was in that area like the five nights, you know, them type guys, you know, who was like, you know, really at times verbally abusive. Never really got physical with players, but I mean, he'll let you know up and down how he really feels. All kind of words. He put words together I've never heard about. <laughs> he was from Jersey. Gary was from Jersey, so he could cuss like a sailor. Hey. It was it was bad, you know, but he, he brought it out of you. You know, he brought the best out of you as a player. And that's where I get my intensity from, you know, playing the games. And, you know, that's why I'm so high energy and wasn't pressed. You know, always screaming at the dunks and blocks of big plays and something like that because I got that just from the, the intensity that he instilled in me in college for four years. You know, we were the top defensive team in college. I want to say top five almost every year up until my junior year. Mm-hmm. We pressed. We played the passion lanes. We were doing all that. We were just hyped to play basketball. And it was just, we took after his personality. Oh, definitely. You got to talk about that ACC competition, man. It was no days off for y'all. Dude, you know, North Carolina, you got UVA, you got everybody, man. So, yeah. yeah. B-Tech, Wake. Yeah. Everybody. <laughs> it was no days off. The ACC was definitely crazy. And like I said, remember, you know, when I got into the whole high school basketball thing, you know, I didn't realize that I was good enough to get recruited to play basketball. You know, it's more so at a high level at that. It was just like he threw me out there and I just fit in. You know, I was playing. So, you know, after playing at WCAC against a lot of guys that ended up going to high-level colleges or even NBA, you know, then going into Maryland and now I'm playing in the ACC. And I remember my first time that I was kind of starstruck, we played North Carolina. And that year was the year that they went undefeated. Mm-hmm. And they ran the whole table on everybody. You know, it was crazy. And I think the lineup was like Sean May. Rashad McCants, Raymond Felton, uh, who else? Jawad Williams. Marvin Williams was coming off the bench. He was six man coming off the bench. Uh, they right. had Jackie Manuel. They had they had a squad. Squad was OD. And I remember walk, coach called me in. I was like, first, it was before the first TV timeout. Coach was like, get in. And I walk on the court and I see like who I'm checking. I'm like looking and then Sean. They- <laughs> I'm like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. 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 Tech was good that that during yeah. that time, man. <laughs> yeah, Tech was nice. V Tech was real nice. I mean, like, come on, some matchups was just like them nights. And Maryland had the crowd. Like, that was one thing I love was Maryland. You know, eighteen thousand was in there every night yeah. we played, yeah, and our fans held us down. But we had some great runs in Maryland. Man. We had some great runs. Man. That ACC was lit. You know, competition is road games. You know, coming back. To the home games, you know, it, it, it was it was lit. That was probably the best four years of my life for sure. Talk so you talk about um you talk about like we kind of like your your ACC moment, but talk about when you realized that you can you can possibly make money from this game. Um, did you have a moment? Did you have a game where did somebody come up and tell you it was like, listen, man, I think you know, I think you you got you got potential. I think it was after my uh, sophomore year, we went to Maui for the Maui Invitational. And, you know, that was like my breakout year for Maryland. Because my freshman year, I came in, I ended up, like, like I said, I was supposed to come in with Rudy Gay. So we were the two top players coming out of the Maryland area. Uh, so it was a big thing. But then last minute, Rudy ended up going to UConn. So I ended up coming to Maryland by myself. I was the only freshman. And so coming in there, you know, the year before they won the ACC tournament, they had John Gilchrist, DJ Strapper, Mike Jones. Mm-hmm. You know, they had, uh, you know, Kenny Beckway. They had a huge, you know, lineup. A lot of other guys, too. Huge, a junior class and, you know, a few seniors that have been there since the championship line. So I'm the only freshman coming in with no minutes. No, I'm not having to prove myself. I wasn't a McDonald's All-American yeah. you know, for some other reasons, but it wasn't that I couldn't play at that level. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, you know, I came in there with no, you know, guarantee that I was going to be able to achieve anything. And so after my freshman season, I think I played, I averaged 20 minutes a game. I think I managed to start like three or four games my freshman year. So I established myself my freshman year as a player that could help the team win. Um, so I'm here coming back in. We go to Maui Invitational, I think it was. Arizona, Arkansas, UConn, Kansas, Michigan State. Like it was a it was a lit tournament and they had all kind of NBA scouts there, you know, you know, preseason tournament, that John is, is popping. And so I ended up having a breakout tournament that, that year. And that's when I started getting a lot of buzz about, you know, you possibly go to the NBA and all this and everything. And after after that season, I feel like a lot of guys made their push to go to the NBA. Chris McCray, Travis Garrison, Nick Cannon Medley, like those guys yeah. did it. Williams had pulled me to the side of the season. We're like, yo, James, would you try to come back next year? You know, next year you'll be a junior. It's going to be a really big year for you. I think we'll have a great time. And, uh, you know, it'll be good for you. I don't think you should try to go to the NBA draft. And I didn't think nothing of it. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here. I'm not unpacking my dorm room. Like, I'm, right I'm thinking the league 
niggas there when you started. <laughs> if I think back on it now, maybe I should have tried. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, today, you know, that just wasn't my mindset. Again, I wasn't there. I didn't know how you got there, what the ways were to do it. It was just like, okay, I'm in the moment right now. Maryland was what it was. It was one of the top schools in the ACC, one of the top schools in the country. You know, I was enjoying the moment. Yeah. I was enjoying the moment. Let's talk about, you know, the 08 draft and that process. You know, you finished your career, successful career in Maryland. Mm. How was the whole process for you? Like, who did you work out with and did you get drafted? Starting out that process, I mean, it was like, first you got to try to pick an agent. At the time, you know, dealing with the NCAA regulations, you couldn't really deal with agents during the year. So you had to wait for the season to be done. So once the season was officially done, that's when I started doing, like, actual interviews with agents. Um, and I had a few, you know, the top eights. I think one was Harm Tellum at the time. I don't back a gun. One was BDA, uh, who I ended up signing with, Bill Duffy. Um, and there was another one out of uh, L.A. I can't remember. He had Kevin Love and all those guys at the time. Uh, but the problem was that I had maybe like four or five credits to finish up in Maryland in the spring semester. And so it was like, go ahead and knock these classes out. I think I ended up taking bowling and something else. You know? so, <laughs> like, for me to go, they wanted me to go high in the draft or at least like guaranteed first round. It was like sign with a couple of these agencies and I would have to go to LA. They were like, go to LA, work out up until the draft. So from March when we finished playing or whatever, up until the draft, uh, you're going to work out in LA. And it was like, nah, I can't do that because I need to finish so I can graduate. Yeah. You know. So I ended up picking a BEA, Bill Duffy agency, uh, because they were able to find me somebody I could work out with in DC. Meanwhile, I finished my credits up so I could walk across that stage. And that was more important for me than anything, especially for my family at the time. Um, and that's when I ran into Kyle. I think we ended up working out with Don Ravine up at Georgetown. Hey, and I, I still had nightmares about <laughs> workouts, bro. Peace, workout show. Bro. Me, you, Joey Dorsey. Joey. Yo, Jonas was in there a couple of times. We opened the rep call with us. Like, we, we got after it. And, I mean, they brought in guys, you know, that were going to be trying to compete in the draft, whether that year or the following year, too. So, I mean, and the conditioning for that jump went low key. Bro, so, it was, I didn't, it was on a whole other level. Like, I, had, I thought we worked hard in college. Yeah, yo, I, literally, I, I was the same way. Like, because I, I was similar to you. Like, I, I signed with my agent because they wanted me to go elsewhere. And I was like, nah, I got to stay in Greensboro. I was like, there's no way I could tell my moms that, like, I'm not going to graduate. So right. I stayed in Greensboro. I worked out. But as soon as that's my graduation, that's when I came to D.C. with y'all. Yeah. And I remember that first day. And Joey was like, yo, Joey was like, yo, is, you ready for this? I was like, yeah, I'm straight, bro. <laughs> I was like, I've been working. <laughs> bro, that, I still remember that first job, the first sprint conditioning job we did. Like, he, that's the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yo, every every yo, every time I like, literally to this day, every time I do a drill and I find myself like I, I hear a Don in the background talk about you gotta move like a Ferrari, Ferrari speed, you gotta move like Ferrari, Ferrari speed. <laughs> the biggest thing was to have a good engine. Yes. You think in college, you 21 years old, you got energy. You know, you used to just coming straight in off your flip-flops, put your kicks on, you used to just run 505, no stretch, no nothing. Nah, getting ready for your draft was a whole different ballgame. It was like, you gotta, because you're getting ready for NBA workouts, you feel me? Yeah. Then you don't know how many workouts you're gonna have at that time because they had the NBA season still going on. And for me, I ended up having 18 workouts, I think, when I look back on I did a double with Boston right before um, the night of the draft. The day before the draft, I did a double with Boston. 
so Edan's whole thing was to have a big motor. No matter what, your legs cannot stop moving. Miss shot, made shot, whatever it is, you got to have a motor to keep pushing through the drills. Because these drills only last an hour when you go to the workout. Yeah. And you went there with two, three other people. But you're competing the whole time. So you want to show that you can compete. You want to show that you can get out there. You, that's something that's going to stand out for you and everybody else so that you're that one pick or second pick or whatever in the draft. And so, like Kyle said, man, conditioning was huge. We would start the workout out with 10 ladders, I think it was, across two courts. <laughs> Before we started, this is after stretch, like, going right to run it, and then we do the drill. He was like, we're going to be exhausted, and then you're going to work to the point of exhaustion. And when you can work at that, then the game's going to be easy. So yeah, right. that's how you're going to make yourself a variety. That's how you're going to be a well-oriented engine. People don't understand our bodies are like machines, man. You just got to push it to that limit. You know, you can go far if you push it to you. I mean, look at us. We're playing since 08, bro. This 2020. Crazy. It's crazy to think about it. It's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. We were uh, machines, man. You know, God, God, you know, willing no injuries and stuff. We can keep going. Yeah. Keep going. Wheels fall off if we need to. Um, but, yeah, getting drafted was, you know, it's crazy. That, that even going in, like I said, I worked out for 18 teams. I didn't. I wasn't going to go to New York and sit in the green room. So I sat at home, had my family come. Um, and some friends, we just had dinner there, watched the draft on TV. My agent was there. And I think going into the draft, I had Toronto on my radar. Toronto said they didn't want to draft me. I think uh, I don't remember what, I think they had a lottery pick, and then they had a later pick in the first round. And they ended up picking Jonas Valanciunas, and it was somebody else. And right after the pick, they was like, we want you to go undrafted. Once you go undrafted, we got a contract. We got a spot for you. We're going to pick you up. We got a spot for you. And I was like, man, that wasn't a deal. Right. Like, y'all, 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 I wanted to hear my name. Y'all Yeah, y'all kind of reneged. And it was like, as soon as the pick happened, I'm sitting there waiting, like, look at the TV, like, and then it was like, somebody else's name. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, damn, like, what happened? And the phone started ringing. They were like, this is what we want you to do. My agent was like, yeah, they want you to go on draft. I was like, man, nah, I ain't trying to do that. So then I'm like, all right, so now Toronto out the way. So then Detroit called. Detroit, they had a pick coming up. I think they had the first pick or one of the first three picks in the second round, they was like, we want to, we want to draft you. But we want you to go overseas for one year. And I was like, nope. I'm not doing the overseas thing. So, nope, I want to go to the league. That's my whole thing. This whole thing, that's, that's, that's what I want to get. I'm, again, I don't know how this all works. I'm just yeah. like, this is how it works. I want to go to the league. So, like, all right, skip that pick. So, now the trap passed up on two picks now. So, I'm just like, damn, I don't know what's going to happen. So, now I'm walking around, walk outside. I'm like, ah, I need to figure out what's next. <laughs> Uh, my agent come out there. He's talking to, um, you know, he's talking on the phone to the team trying to figure out what's going on. And all of a sudden, my family's inside getting excited. And they're just like, yo, San Antonio picked you. And I'm like, San Antonio? And I'm like, man, I remember working out for them, but I don't remember, like, did I kill it? Like, I had some workouts. I was like, yeah, they, they really liked me. I'm like, this, I didn't think San Antonio was one of them. And apparently, they, you know, pops, uh, you know, he saw something in me that he really liked. You know, he called my name, ended up meeting them. You know, it was a big thing to get drafted by San Antonio, especially meeting that organization and seeing how they were set up and how things work and understanding why they got the championships and why the players that come through there, you know, have been through there. You know, San Antonio was one of those places. They weren't the best organization in the league, if you ask me, at the time. Um, and so that, that, that was how that process went for me. It was pretty, you know, gut-wrenching, exciting at the same time. I got a confession, bro. I, I, I thought I was going to go to San Antonio at 57 because we was in that workout together in yeah. San Antonio. And then the, one of the dudes, um, he was like, because they was they kept saying, like, oh, you like Malik Rose. We like, you know, we trying to, you know, find somebody like that. 
So I thought I was going to 57. So I had my mindset. I was like, yo, worst case scenario, like I'm coming from a small school. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get drafted, but I was like, I'm definitely going to go 57 to San Antonio. Right. When they called your name, bro, I was cussing you out. I was like, this motherfucker. <laughs> I was like, I, I mean, I was, I was hyped because it was like, it was my guy. We worked out. But at the nah. same time, I was tight. I was like, nah. I was, I was, I was going at this dude every day in DC. I, I was hot, bro. I was 38 hot, bro. You won't lie to you, but at the end of the day, I was hyped for you because I was like, use my guy. But like, but the first like three minutes, I was tight, bro. That's crazy. You know, that's. I had a similar situation because I remember, like I said, I had a back-to-back workout with Boston the night before yeah. the track. And so my whole thing was, man, I already had 18 workouts. I'm tired as hell. And I'm just like, I don't feel like going to no more drafts. And so as I'm about to head to the airport, my agent's like, yo, Boston wants to pick you up. They want out. They want that. They got the 30th pick in the draft. Uh, and so they got a second draft coming right now. I think Mario Chalmers, George Hill, J.R. Giddens, and somebody else was coming. Um, and so they was like, we want you to come back. And I was like, man, if they're not going to draft me, I'd rather just go home. Mm-hmm. You know, we got a draft tomorrow. I'm like, I done did 18 workouts. So I'm not, I'm not trying to do it. And they was like, man, if they call for a second workout, you should probably do it. All right, cool. So we do the second workout. Somebody ends up getting hurt in the very beginning. And so the J.R. Gibbs don't got a matchup. And so it's George Hill, Mario Thomas going ahead up. I forget who the guy's name was that I was going up against. Um... But J.R. Gibbs ends up going against one of the team managers, one of the ball boys, you know, the dudes that they had that work out with you, little talking defense dudes. So he had an NBA workout, the for a second workout to get drafted, and he going against one of these dudes. And so I'm sitting here like, all right, so, you know, I'm doing my thing in the workout. Mario Thomas doing his battle, and J.R. is out there flying around. So we're going to transition. I'm so he catching full court hoops. Boom, he dunking all over this dude. He got this dude looking like, I mean, he had no business being out there, and it was yeah. obvious. Who gets drafted at the 30th pick? Boston picks it. Damn, man. No, it's cool. It's cool. I know I should have took my ass home. <laughs> but no, nah, it's crazy to hear that, that, that you uh, thought you was going to have a pick for San Antonio because I didn't know. I really didn't know San Antonio had an interest or anything. Like, I didn't yeah. expect that part either. So it's just funny how you know, it comes back yeah. around. Funny how it comes around. Shit all works out, man. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. You got to talk about that Spurs experience, man. You know, now you go from playing in the ACC, being at, you know, University of Maryland. Now you walk into a locker room. You see, you know, future Hall of Famers, Tim Duncan, Mano. You see yeah. Tony Parker. Like, you know, talk about that whole experience. Yeah, like, it, it was, you know, like I said, Spurs organization was A1, man. You could have put that past it. And I, I did 18 workouts. And that's why I say it's A1, because I was able to see a lot of the different organizations when I went to go work out with them how they handled us, you know, how we came into the gym with the uniform and all that stuff, how the workouts were conducted, you know, through the whole thing. San Antonio, when I got there, you know, it was just pretty, like, real basic. And the guys that were there was, you know, Tim and Mano. Like, Tony had one of the coaches, and he was working out in L.A. or Chicago at the time. He had something going on. Um, so he wasn't there through the summer. But Tim and Mano, they were there every day. And, I mean, the first ones there, when you walk in and being a rookie, you know, we got to be the first ones there. You know, you bring a donuts, you bring everything that you need to be. And there still got, you know, some of the free agency camps going on and later on in the summer after summer league and stuff like that. But as the season's starting to wind down and, and you start to get ready preparation for training camp, you know, you see all the guys that's really there. And Tim and Mono were there every single day. So you got the leaders of the team that's sitting there working hard. They're getting there working out. They're getting weight room. They come in. They're playing the game with us, and afterwards they're getting to work out. Tim going to the pool, get some laps. Mom was out there getting treatment, weight room again. Like, and they doing this every single day. 
You know, you got some guys just coming in and acting like they need to hurt, whatever, and these are the leaders. These are guys that play out the game all the minutes, and they doing it. So you kind of just got to follow behind them. And then when you see, you know, Pops, uh, Popovich walk in, um, I mean, everything get quiet, you know. Mm-hmm. He's the golden he's the golden guy there. You know, he's like the GM, the president. He is San Antonio. Him and Tim Duncan San Antonio. They got, they got R.C. Buford. They got, you know, at the time it was Dale Gibson. They had, you know, all the guys that's in the office and stuff. It's not. It's very popular. He's the, he's the, the final words. And I mean, rightly so. You know, he's got a lot of respect and a lot of clout for the league. And so, you know, just having an opportunity to be able to pick his brain and, you know, sit in on huddles and be able to play under him in certain games, you know, was just, it was a surreal experience. You know, one of the craziest moments was when we were playing the LA Clippers. I think I put this clip up on uh, my page on IG and I know they, they wrote it up on, online a few times, was when uh, Manu Ginobili drew up one of the last plays uh, for the game. We were playing yeah. Clippers and uh, <clears throat> Pop was out there talking to sister coaches and Manu was in there talking to everybody, getting everybody in the huddle. He was right on the board, and Pop came in the huddle and seen it, and he was just like, all right, you know, final play, whatever, see what happened. And he drew it up, and I mean, this is what you talk about discipline, this is what you talk about, you know, players that are focused at a high level, you know, and this is why they are a championship caliber team, because Pop has a trust in his players to be able to, uh, you know, uh, finish and, and execute plays at the correct time when it's necessary. You know, everybody's drilled in on this. So Romano drove a play, boom. Then Gary Neal busted down a three, in the in the in the corner for the win against the Clippers at the time, and it, it, it was lit, you know, to see that. And that was just that that hyped me to be in that situation. Yeah, you know, there was one timeout where uh, Popovich called a timeout just to cuss out George Hill. He drove a play for George to come off and make a shot, and I guess George came off and he made a read, which was the right play. Somebody else scored. Greg was hot, called the uh, timeout. As soon as he come a timeout, he said, "George, what the fuck are you doing?" Excuse my language. I don't know about. Nah, you crazy. Nah, you good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You crazy. What, you like, want. what the fuck are you doing? He was like, man, I drove this play. Like, don't you want to be the guy that everybody's talking about in the newspapers? Don't you want to be the guy that, you know, who's rocking the San Antonio jersey and everybody's talking about? You want to be the guy. You want to be the face of this team. You, you're the rookie that we brought in here to be that guy this year. And you pass him that shot. Don't ever pass up that shot again. And when he said that, man, I got hyped. I was ready to check him. I'm like, you got me hyped. He out here playing. You got Tim, Bono, like I said, Tony Parker. You know, you had Mike Finley at the time. You got guys out there that's years in the game. And he wanted, he put he put the confidence in a player like that, you know, coming as a rookie on a team like that in the NBA, you know, that's huge. And when you get to experience that, you know, at a level like that, you know, I can't I, I can't take for granted the experience that I had with San Antonio. Right. Now, let's talk about your, your your overseas experience. Like you already, you know, kind of hit and talk about like you you didn't want to go to overseas at all. So talk about, yeah. you know, kind of how that how that happened, how you ended up in, you know, in, in Biella, Italy. And, you know, what was that what was that initial experience like for you? Like, you know, what did you know about overseas basketball up to that point? Nothing. Knew nothing about overseas basketball. Like I said, I had uh my dad was military, so I traveled a lot as a youngin. Um, but it just, I was in school, I wasn't working anything. I wasn't living on my own either. I was yeah. in So now this time around, I'm on my own. Whole different country, whole different aspect. I don't know what's going on in San Antonio. Was like, look, um, we want you to go to Italy. Well, they said we want you to go over Europe for a year. And I'm saying, like, damn, like I just turned down Detroit for this. If I had known y'all would have did this, I'd have said y'all too. Like, get away from it. What gotta be? So uh, it was just like, okay, so. 
San Antonio said, we got a perfect plan for you. You know, they kept my rights. They was like, we got your situation. We got a team perfect, uh, set out for you, a contract set for you. So not to worry about nothing. Oh, and so we want to monitor you. They set the whole situation up for you? Or whatever? Everything. Oh, wow. Set up everything. Wow. They was like, you know, we we found a perfect team for you. You know, this is going to help out. Uh, where you're going to be able to uh, get out there and play. Like, we were a team that wasn't expected to go. They expected us to actually drop to the second division. We were first division. They didn't expect much of us, you know. But we had guys like Reese Gaines, uh, who was at Louisville. We had Joe Smith, who was a guy uh, one state from Alabama. Um, we had Jonas Jarebko. We had Greg Bruner, who came from Iowa. You know, we had a solid team. And we had some solid uh, Italian players, Pietro Adore, um, you know, some real solid Italian players. Um, but they just felt like our team just wasn't that good, you know, to compete at that level. Um, so I had no idea about international basketball at the time or any of that. So it was like, okay, you know, I told Pop, I'm like, I'm ready. Like, I'm ready to come in now and play. I don't want to go overseas. Like, don't do that. He's like, nah. Once you get a year of experience when you're playing and you really get the feel for the game, learn how to play the game, and then we're going to bring you back and mix it. So I'm like, all right, I just kind of had to take it. That's, yeah. that's what it was. So go over to Italy. Um, get there. It's training camp. We get there early August. It's training camp. So we out there, you know, and I'm sitting here like, pull up. It's a small city. I think the other half maybe like 60,000 people, 70,000 people. Mm-hmm. And mine, it's like 45 minutes from Milan. So, man, if I needed to, I could make a ride to a big city. But again, I wasn't even ready for that. I'm just trying to figure out once I walk out my front door what I'm going to figure out. You know, I'm <laughs> So I'm like thinking about getting on the highway. I ain't even thinking about getting a car right now. <laughs> just like, you know, thinking about food, you know, understanding the language. And it was okay because Italian is like kind of similar to Spanish. So I kind of was able to get around and understand a little bit early on. But just the style of playing basketball, you know, I had some good veteran players that kind of helped me understand, you know, what basketball in Europe was like, you know, because it's. It's less possessions. You know, NBA is 12-minute quarters. You know, 48-minute games. You know, Europe is 10-minute quarters. You know, they don't have one guy on the team that's getting up 20, 30 shots. You know, you have team basketball, that ball moving. And, you know, the best players within the offense is just defining the scores. But, you know, it's just not – it's not like the States. It's different. It took me probably like two or three months to kind of really adjust to the style of playing in and it got to the point where I think the coach was asking me, like, yo, are you even happy here? Like, you, you want to be here? And I was just like, yeah, like, I'm just trying to figure this out. Like, I'm here by myself. I'm by myself. My fam here. My fam not here. You know, I'm coming to practice. I'm trying to figure this all out, you know. And a lot of my play, because I guess I'm coming from the draft. I'm not in the NBA where I want to be. So I'm dealing with a lot of this. The fact that I'm not in the league, the fact that I'm over in a whole other country, the fact that I'm playing here. I don't really understand the things, but I'm not playing bad. I guess it's just I wasn't playing how they expected me to at that time. Mm-hmm. And then around November, December, I think I just broke through that wall. And they just started to roll for me. You know, I started playing really good. San Antonio, great Providence, you came in two or three games. You know, R.C. Buford, the GM at the time, I come to a few games, see me play. And I was really putting up good numbers. And, you know, we were really doing good. We finished in the top eight uh, at the end of regular season. Uh, we ended up beating Rome that first year when Brandon Jennings was there. Yeah, he went they, had, to the draft they had a squad too. too. They had a squad. They had a big mob. Yeah, and they were early that year, but yeah. I mean, this is Italy, um, and uh, we beat them in the first round of the playoffs. And so, like I said, they expect us to go to the second round, second division. We ended up making the playoffs, getting Rome out of there, who had a crazy budget. One of their players made more than our whole organization, yeah. you know. So we made something big happen. Next round, we ended up playing Milan. And it got to the point where we were like, you know, we had some battles during the year, and so guys were like, we really could take Milan if we want to. 
But, you know, it's been, we've been here all year. <laughs> we done got our bonus. We got a bonus. Right now. Let's get back to the crib. Let's just celebrate. So I was like, all right, cool. You know, I'm ready to get back and celebrate, go do summer league and get ready for certain tournament anyway. So, I mean, that's how we finished the year out. We let Milan roll on and end up being Milan Sienna and Senior in the, in, the, in the finals. And then uh, I think Sienna ended up winning that game. Sienna was running things in the league that year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that Italian experience was cool. The food was good. You know, I got to travel to Rome, Naples, Milan, Florence. You know, Italy is dope. For people that haven't got a chance to visit, you know, give me the opportunity. So, you know, obviously you had goals and plans to, to go back to San Antonio and join the Spurs that next season, but yeah, you had, uh, with Locomotive. So, how did that how did that come about? Did San um, so I come back, you know, do the summer league thing. Uh, Get ready for training camp, and the day before training camp, man, I lie to you not. We doing uh, testing, like uh, shuttle run, vert test, you know, conditioning tests, all that stuff. The final stuff, the final preparation stuff that you do, show that you're ready for camp, get ready to sign and everything. And we doing uh, the shuttle run, 60 yard dash, and I'm racing George Hill. First, first time around, man, I'm neck and neck. You know, and I'm like, I, I told George, like, yeah, I, I could burn you. I think I can get you as a big. I, that was like, I use that as motivation. <laughs> hey. You know, I mean, Kyle, like, we get on the guard. We like, yeah. We yeah, it's tough. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm in drills. Every time I'm in practice, every time I get a chance to go against a guard, especially if I think he's the fastest, if I think he think he the best one-on-one player, I'm like, let me get them ones. You know, so in this race, it was me and George. So first time me and neck and neck, he wins. And I'm like, man, I'll I get you a second time. So we burning it out, burning out neck and neck. As I pushed to the foul, the finish line, dog, I told my quad, bro, complete tear. Boom. I'm out three months. And so now I'm sidelined. They start training camp the next day. And I'm just like, damn, everything that I worked for all summer long, you know, and I'm ready. Like, I'm here. I'm yeah. sitting here on the table questioning my shit. Like, am I all right? Or am I going to be able to play basketball again? You know, San Antonio, they was like, man, I had to stay down there for like six weeks. On crutches, I couldn't leave the hotel. Or not couldn't leave the hotel, but I couldn't do anything. I had to stay on crutches for six weeks. So I was doing rehab and stuff during that time. So for three months, you know, I'm out of commission. And as I start getting myself back into playing mode and practice, being able to practice and pick up a ball again, they give me the opportunity to either play with the Austin Toros at the time, which is a D-League affiliate, or <clears throat> go back overseas. And so when I look at that time, D-League, I think, was making 15000 Yeah, man. 20000 That's before tax. Yeah. You know? And then, <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, locomotive or just in general, them contracts over there are six figures. Yeah. And I'm looking like, Shh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta eat. <laughs> <laughs> so we got the same deal on the table, right? Next summer, you know, I come back, we got the same thing, right? We try it again. All right, cool. I'm going locomotive. I'm head out of Russia. You know, I'm not going to do the Austin Charles thing. You know, um, so, and I had no idea what I was going to expect going out there. And pulling up there, you know, first day, I'm in the hotel going to the lobby because I'm getting ready to meet the guys downstairs or who was coming to meet us because we flew into Moscow. But we had a game in Kazan in two days. So we had to mm -hmm. fly to Kazan uh, to play them. And so I'm going to the lobby, going to breakfast, and walking the lobby. And Gerald Green's down there. You know, he, he's down there, dude, to play with Houston Rockets. Yeah. Uh, He's in the lobby. So I'm like, what's up, G? And we were just in San Antonio that summer hooping. You know, so I know from earlier that summer. So, you know, he's out there. I'm like, what you doing out here? He's like, man, I just signed with some Russian team. We got a game in a couple of days. I'm like, 
we signed with, so we sitting there trying to figure out the name. Turns out we on the same team. So I'm just like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, somebody, I'm cool with you. Like, you know, only two black people in Russia though right now. We in Moscow. <laughs> you know, so uh, we come there. I'm like, all right, so I got somebody I can kick it with. Uh, so the manager comes, pick us up. We got to go do our physicals, whatever, real quick. Bust on our physicals, and we hop on the plane, get to Kazan. Sleep. Next day, we got the game. We start out, I think we lost, ended up losing the game by like 10, maybe. But that was our first game, introduction to the team. At the time, uh, Kuban was Euro Cup, but I think they had already not made the amount of games that they needed to advance to the next round. So we had like two or three games left in the first round. Finished those out. Uh, and I think after we lost in the Euro Cup and after that jump was over, they ended up firing the coach. So this is the first time I'm experiencing a coach firing during the yeah. season. And this was then the first week or two of my me being there. And so I'm like, damn, we gotta we wake up, go to breakfast, and coach just comes in and was like, man, I just wish y'all to have a best season. You know, y'all can have and everything, you know, good luck and everything. You know, I see y'all, you know, whatever. I'm like, where are you going? We got the game today. He got fired. I'm like, why you get fired? He ain't done nothing wrong. Like, he ain't bad. He's business. So I'm just like, damn, like. So I guess this is how it is. So now we go to a game today. We playing Dynamo, and we don't have no coach. We are going with the assistant coach or whatever. And so we went in there. I think we got slapped by thirty. You know, it was just something crazy. And the season ended up turning out to be better than it was. You know, but I think the hardest part was just understanding that I'm living in Russia now. You know, and I wasn't in Moscow. I wasn't in Saint Petersburg. It wasn't yeah, like yeah. where you were in the main hubs. You know, the touristy parts of the city. Don't get me wrong, those are real Russia too, but you in the outside city, yeah, that's different. That's real. That's real out there. <laughs> yeah. It took, it took me a couple of months to kind of get accustomed to that. I ended up meeting somebody out there that ended up being real cool with a professional cook. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was just like, it was crazy because he was sitting there. He happened to be on a plane coming back from Moscow. I think we had just finished playing either Dynamo or not, not Dynamo. We played uh, whatever team Alexis Fed played on. I can't remember. Um, but we played them, and we were coming back, uh, and he ended up being on the plane with us, and we went out to dinner that night. Me and Gerald, oh, it's a spot called Great Goose, I think it was. And he happened to be at dinner with, like, two chicks. Um, and so he's at the table behind us, and he's just sitting there staring at us. And so I'm looking at Gerald. I'm like, dude, I don't know what's going on, but this dude over here just seemed like he got an issue. Or like, I don't know what it is. He, he don't speak English. So, you know, I'm always on the swivel. When I'm in places of, you know, no comfort. Yeah, I'm never be. all the way relaxed. You know, people get caught sleeping all the time, and it just won't be me. <laughs> so <laughs> he actually gets up, he walks over, and he's like, excuse me, you know, English was perfect. He was like, I got a question. He was like, I just want to know, is it possible I can come and sit here and just talk to you guys? So me and Gerald look at each other, we're like, all right, what's up? He was like, so I was sitting on the plane with you guys, seeing that you guys are basketball players, and I'm sitting here, and you guys are actually speaking English, so I want to have a conversation because I never had a conversation with guys like you. And so I'm sitting here like, you know, what you mean? (laughs) 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 The flag went up. (laughs) I didn't want to say it, but you like, you know, two black guys. Yeah. And I mean, he knew the difference between, you know, when you're in Europe, there are black people in Europe, but the black people in Europe are necessarily from Africa. They're not necessarily from America. It's different. Or, you know, they're from France or from London. You know, they, they, you know, migrated to these places. You know, they lived there their whole life. They're not from America. You know, it's a difference between black people that come from America and the difference between black people that live over there. And so he's like, I know that you're not like everybody else that I've seen before, so I just want to have a conversation with you. That's all it was. It was real innocent, though, so it was like, all right. And at the time, you know, me and Gerald looked 
He said, girls, we're just like, man, he got two girls with him. Like, he said by his tongue, shit, why not? What's the worst that can happen? Yeah, what's the worst that can happen? Maybe he can help us out because, you know, we ain't getting no luck. We ain't getting out. This the only restaurant we know. We ain't talk to no girls. We ain't nothing. So, yeah, I finally got to do this speak English. Come on, bro. Sit down. You invited. Cool. He wasn't really being disrespectful, so it was cool. Ended up having a lifelong relationship with this dude, man. Really? Great. Well, he came. He cooked for us whenever we needed anything. All he would be like, man, just go to the grocery store, get what you need. I'll cook. And, oh, like, we would go out. He translated anything we needed, any help we needed. Like, he made the whole situation with Russia so much better. Once we met him, Russia became great. That's crazy. That's, that's crazy. I'll, I'll talk about, like, now talk about the, you know, when you get back that summer and then you you want to, this is finally, I guess, you know, you're looking at like, it's your finally your time with San Antonio. So you, yeah you going back um, to summer league, what, what what exactly happened? How that all transpired? Going back to summer league, you know, it was like, uh, I came in, uh, I was hyped too. Cause I'm like, you know, first year, boom, got hit with a double whammy. Wasn't ready for that. Yeah. Wasn't ready. Second year, got hurt. Wasn't ready for that. Been playing for the third year. I'm like, all right, I'm Gucci. Like, I done did my, my runs. It's my time now. You know, San Antonio didn't pass it back around. I done did what y'all wanted me to do. I done had the seasons y'all wanted me to have. You know, let's, what's up? So, going to, going to Summer League, I'm hooping first game. I think we play Atlanta. And I think the first half, I go up there. Killer, 10, 10, I think I had 12 and 10, first half, like going into the halftime. And last play of the half, Jeff Teague is driving to the basket, and I'm going to go catch that shit off the glass. And so, when I'm going, one of my guys comes to try to take a charge on Jeff. And as he goes up, he takes me out. As I'm going for the block, I come down, boom, mess up my wrist. Okay. So now I'm like, Summer League, don't get to play. That was the first game. That was the opening game of Summer League. Don't get to play Summer League. So now it's like, all right, now I just got training camp. But I got to go back to San Antonio and get my junk checked out. I didn't have to get surgery. I didn't break it. But I had to chill out for a couple of weeks. So then now all I really got is the free agency camps that they coming along, working out every day. They see me, we in there hooping. I mean, the game's going on. We competitive. Go through preseason, training camp. Boom. Uh, and I played really well in all the games that we played. We played Miami when LeBron was there. Played, you know, against Carmelo. Played against uh, Yao Ming when he was in Houston. That dude is so huge, man. I remember <laughs> <laughs> I can't. is big, dude. Yeah. Yao Ming? Like, nah. I came up to his shoulder blade, like his lower part of his shoulder blade. <laughs> Yo, it's like, it's crazy. So, you know, I, I mean, I got a chance to play in these games. And so I'm thinking, like, all right, it's my time. And I'm talking to my agent. They're like, you know, you, you're doing really well. You, you play. You, they're saying that you, you're the best performer right now in the, in, the, in the training camp. Keep doing what you're doing. It comes up, the, the contract that I signed, if I'm there open at night, my, my contract is guaranteed through the whole season. Um, and so we played OKC in San Antonio. And so now I'm really thinking about the play because it's KD. Jeff Green and Russell Westbrook, you know, James Harden in there, but mainly because KD and Jeff Green. And I'm like, yeah, this is some hometown stuff. Yeah, you know, it's your people's. Yeah, yeah it's my people's. Like, we hooped during the summertime together. So, this is some bump. Like, it's preseason. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm cool enough. All right, first quarter, I get it. Let the stars play and all this stuff. But they hooping out there. So, like, let the young guys get it. You got some young gunners right now with me, George Hill, um, Alonzo G, Malik Harrison. Like you had some guys that really wanted to get out there and get after it. Some young, some young dudes that Dewan Blair was there. Like they really wanted to get after it, and so um, they didn't. I didn't see the court, bro. Didn't see the court. 
And I'm sitting there like, dang, like I kind of took that personal because you know the OKC beat the hell out of us that game too. And Jeff Green, uh, Rush, KDA laughing, dunking that John hit threes, all that joint. I'm just like, man, I'm supposed to be out there getting after these people. Like, I feel yeah. like I can really come with them. Right. And so uh, after the game, you know, we come the next day. I think we had one more game. I forget who it was, and then the next day was gonna be open at night. And so we gonna shoot around, and right at shoot around, they they hit me with the you know, Coach Pop want to talk to me. And then in the office, so I'm like, all right, cool. I'm gonna go holler at him real quick. And it wasn't Coach Pop; it was actually Chad Forsier, which was the player development coach at the time. And he was like, you know, um, we think that you've been really good for us at the time and all that, but at the same time, we don't have enough space. Like it's a numbers thing. You know, it's not that we don't want you. It's not that we don't need you. It's that we don't know where we can play you because we got like six bigs at the time. I think it was Antonio McDyess, Dio Ratliff, Tim Duncan, Matt Bonner, uh, DeJuan Blair, because he was their first round draft pick. And it was somebody else. So they already had six bigs. And so he's like, where are we going to play you? Like, where are we going to get you minutes? So, you know, at the end of the day, it's not that we don't want to sign you. We want to put you on the D-League squad and go with the D-League pack. We'll put you on the D-League squad, and we're going to move you up throughout the year. You know, somebody get sick, somebody get hurt, somebody minutes. We're going to move you up throughout the year, you know, all this stuff. And in my mind, at that time, I'm sitting here like, dog, I done did three years back and forth with this job. Like, I'm wasting time because I feel like I could have been with anybody else. Yeah, you know, The teams that were talking to me as far as, like, and it, at the time, it was illegal to do, but teams were like, you know, like, I had a couple teams that was seriously like, yo, what the San Antonio going to do? Because they're not going to use you. Get your rights traded, we're going to sign And so I'm like, you know, can't really legally do that. You know, tell the team to release me so that I can go to you, but we can try to figure out what happened. Yeah. And, then, and so, at, the, at the same time for you, probably, too, is San Antonio. So you, like, at San Antonio, like, the top of the top. So, like, you, like, if I could hoop for San Antonio, like, right, I'm going right. to go anywhere else. And meanwhile, I'm in camp killing. It's not like yeah. I'm not playing good. And I'm not one of the two mile more. I'm not that type of guy. I'm humble when it comes to this stuff. But I, I really was making it known that I could play at this level. I could play with these guys, you know? And so, um... They was like, we want to do this. So, so I was just like, man, at that time I was like, no, I'm good. I'll figure it out. Like, thank you. I was kind of salty. I probably was a little unprofessional. And at the time I probably should have took the big league thinking maybe it would have worked out a different way. I don't know. But I was like, thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate y'all, you know, letting me come here and be able to, you know, show off my talents and try to do what I can. But, you know, no thank you. I'll try to figure it out from here. And so it was just like, damn. So, you know, I left the gym. I'm hot. You know, I'm thinking, like, we had a game that night. We had a game that night, and the next day is over in San So I'm already – I just got apartment out there thinking, you know, I'm about to be out there for the year. You know, just something low-key, nothing crazy. And um, when that happened, I'm like, damn, what's next? So I hit my agent. And my agent, the sick thing was right before she around, my agent was like, yeah, they saying that you're you doing really good. Don't worry. Keep doing what you're doing. Everything all right. You know, talk afterwards. You're ready for the game tonight. So I even, I even went in there thinking everything was cool. So coming out after getting that call was just like, damn, like, so what's up? And that's when my agent hit me with the, they was like, just wait around for a couple of days. We'll figure something out. So I'm at San Antonio chilling, um, get a call. Partizan wants me to play um, for them. Team in Serbia, Belgrade. I didn't know nothing about it at the time. You know, I was just like, whatever. You know, I, did, I need to hoop. Yeah. And I need to get out of San Antonio. Like, I don't want to be here right now. Just get me out of here. And so at that time, it was like, all right, we got to fight for you the next day. They got a game somewhere, so, you know, get out there and go play. So I'm like, all right. I shoot out there, close all my stuff up in San Antonio, fly home, get my stuff. And I shoot out to Belgrade. Um, and we go to Slovenia. I think we had a game against uh, Olympia, Ljubljana at the time. It was an Asiatic big game at the time. Um, and we go there, play there. 
And that was my first game in Europe. That was my first, like, not first game in Europe, but at least introduction to not being a part of associated with NBA in San Antonio anymore. It was like, all right, now, JG, you on your own from here. You got to figure it out. If you're going to try to get to the league, you got to start doing your own thing because San Antonio got your back. No, that's how the transition went from, I mean, not finishing up with San Antonio and going into that third year and ended up in Partizan. Right. I mean, from that point on, that was my whole experience. And Partizan that year was EuroLeague, so that was my introduction to EuroLeague, too. You know, that year, it was crazy. You know, back overseas again, I was looking at it like that. And I didn't realize how popping Belgrade was. I didn't realize how that stuff. I was just so closed off to the fact that I wasn't in the league, to the fact that I felt like I deserved to be in that position more than a lot of people actually was. Um, and the third was that, you know, I'm back over here and I got a chip on my shoulder and I got something to prove. Now I got a reason to be on what I'm on because either people got me fucked up and don't think I deserve to be here, or I just really got to show and prove. Like, look, I'm I'm real about what I come with. I'm bringing it when I come on the court. That's just me. You know? And I mean, you know, we step on the court, Kyle, no, we grind. We go after it. He yeah. can be his best. And he know we're going to fight it out all the way to the end. At the end, it's always going to be good. You know, off the court, we can chop up, go out, eat, drink, do whatever. But on the court, we dogs when it comes to it, man. We give our all. And that's why I got so much respect for Kyle, because he Same. can be his own. Biggest respect for player player. He's giving, not letting nobody get baskets or, you know, Same. trying to see him do a highlight. Nah. We out here competing, you know. We eating. That's it. You make me better, I make you better. Better for all. Same, same. I'll talk, talk about that. Uh, the the fan base in, in Serbia, Partizan in particular. You know, Serbia mm-hmm. they got some of the craziest fans in the world. So just talk about that atmosphere and some of those derby games versus the Red Star. So for me, you know, it's it goes different because, like you said, Red Star too. And I played this year. I played with Red Star. But my First year in the introduction, so really with, with Partizan, which unfortunately they're both very serious rivals, you know. So not to bring anything in between that, but with Partizan man coming in, you know, like I said, my first game was against Olympia Ljubljana, so we were in Slovenia. It wasn't even a home game, and I think we did one of the dumbest things ever. What I thought was one of the dumbest things at the time, but apparently it's like European philosophy. You know, if you up one at the end of the game, you foul. You foul. <laughs> <laughs> you foul. Let them shoot free throws. You get the, the last hands. shot. You get the last shot. That's the in your hands. In my mind, I'm like, what the fuck is that? Right. Game's, Game's over. Locked up. And I'm just coming from San Antonio. Right? All this time. I'm just talking this. So it's like, you know, we are one point and now we just and I mean there was a it was a it was a good game, you know, they were competitive. And so we at one point, coach called a timeout, and we were sitting there trying to figure out what we we're gonna do. And I'm like, all right, you know, it should be pretty simple. You got so and so, we either we switching or we just gonna lock up. And he's like, foul. So when they catch the ball, I'm like, foul, it's nine seconds on the clock. We can't just D up. They're like, nah, because if we if they score, we lose, we don't get a shot. You know, at least if we foul, we get a chance to shoot at the end. We end up fouling. They made two free throws. We didn't even get a shot off. I went in the locker room and I was high. This is my first game with this team. So I was like, man, this this is one point where I really want to get out of here. I was like, this is dumb as hell. What we just do? <laughs> I was like, we losing games now? And so, uh, you know, they really tried to explain to me, like, that's how they do things in Europe. So that was a hard pill to swallow when I had to accept that. So Coming back into Belgrade, I'm hitting my agent because we, now we got to practice for about a week because we had no games. This one year early was the old setup where they had groups, group phases. And so um, 
we had like that week, I think we had free. So it was cold, snowing. I don't know nothing. My teammates ain't really trying to go nowhere. They all like, you know, no, we got practice in the morning. And Belgrade, Serbia is one of those countries where basketball is real military style. So everything is real. You know, we practice every day, two hours a day, morning and afternoon, tape, all that. So we getting after it. So I'm just like, I'm just coming from the league. So I'm like, man, I'm not doing all this. Like, yeah. <laughs> so now we practicing all this. And I'm hitting my agent like, oh, you got to get me out of here. Like, this shit sucks. Like, I don't want to be here at all. Like, mm-hmm. team, we just did some dumbass last game. You know, <laughs> this city, I ain't figured out the city. My teammates ain't trying to do nothing. And so I'm like, all right. He's like, just wait up, wait wait on, hold on. We're going to figure it out. First year league game come, we played Maccabi at the crib. And Maccabi, like, is a big team at that time. I didn't know much about them, but they was a big team. So, you know, Partizan fans, we in Holler Pioneer. They show up. I'm talking about two hours before the game. That whole thing is sold out. Fans singing. They got these papers. It's all big black and white construction pieces, boards, and they just hold them up. And so I'm looking at the crowd like, what the hell is going on in here? Like, I never <laughs> seen nothing like this. Like, I went to Maryland. Like, I went to Maryland. Like, the fans there was crazy, but I never seen nothing like this. Mm. So they in there, like, singing, chanting, going crazy, big game. You can't even hear. Like, we can't even have a little conversation because it's so loud in me. And so the game goes on. I think we ended up getting slapped by a 20 piece. They beat the dog, dog mess out of us. Um, and so I'm pissed off that we lost, but it was lit. Like the atmosphere was just crazy. I'm like, all right, I never seen nothing like this before. Like, this is dope. Going to locker room, coaches cussing us out. And the fans are still out there. They're still singing and chanting and all that stuff. And so they're so loud that the coach can't even really do the in game speech because they, this is over. So he's like, man, they want you to go back out there. I'm like, go back out there for what? And it's like 15, 20 minutes after the game. We go back out there. It's full. They never, nobody left. Nobody yeah. left. And they still in there singing. Like, baby, they, the guys are translating it to me. Like, we love you. We do this. We do that. And I'm just sitting there like, damn. I know fans that are like, man, fuck y'all. Y'all love my toys. <laughs> <laughs> y'all some trash. <laughs> and it was like, I mean, but they, they really show love. And so it was like, dang, this is dope. From a basketball experience, that was dope. Yeah. To even see how that was like, not a fan left the gym. It's still sold out. It's smoking. They got players. They singing. They chant. Everything got the papers, flags, everything. I'm just like, this is crazy. So after that, I'm just like, sure. I'm gonna figure out what's going on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to go out and see. Went out. My teammates was like, don't go out. You know, the team got a curfew. I'm like, man, nobody told me about no curfew. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't got no curfew. Mm. Ended up going by myself. Belgrade. Found out Belgrade is one of the most popular cities ever. It's different, man. And so after I figured out that the games was how it was when we played Maccabi and that the nightlife is how it is, I hear my agent back like, yo, I'm cool. (laughs) 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 I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. So that ended up being like my best year. You know, EuroLeague-wise, coming on the scene like that, I think I ended up missing the defensive player of the year vote to DMATDs. Who at the time I had no idea. I had no type idea about the Euroleague circuit at all. Mm. This was just like, you know, you throwing me in the fire. I'm just figuring it out. I ended up coming in second in votes, I think, behind DMTs for the defensive player of the year that year. We ended up making the top 16. We didn't make it out of that group of the playoffs, but, you know, for a partisan level, we had a great year. It was a good year. And I played with Yana Vesely at the time. This was before he went to the draft with the Wizards. Um, I played with him, Nate Jawai. Oliver Lafayette at the beginning of the year, and then they got him out of there and brought Curtis Jones. You know, I had a lot of other the Serbian guys that are playing now in Euroleague who are some of the highly, highly touted guys. 
Um, you know, so we had a we had a good team, you know, good vibe, and that year was just huge. We won three championships, won the Adriatic League, won the Serbian Cup and the Serbian title. Um, like I said, top sixteen year league. It was a successful season for them. It was cool. That year was popping, man. No, that's love. That's love for sure. And I know uh, after that, uh, you went through uh, Fenerbahce and then Malaga. But uh, this is a huge question that, you know, I heard rumors about this and I you know, didn't really know what went down. And I always want to talk to you about this. But I want to hear about that 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 player-to-player trade that happened that uh, ended up sending you to, uh, to, to Pantanegos. So I want you to, you know, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so this one was crazy because I mean, you know, you hear about trades all the time, like in the league and stuff like that. Players find out all the time, you know, you can trade, but you never heard about it in a year. And so at the time, you know, I'm in Malaga. Um, after I finished my season at Partizan, uh, let's see, I went to Fenner because it was an NBA lockout. So I didn't, I had a chance to try to make my push because of the season I had at Partizan. You didn't want to go to the league. It'd be like I had the bone, so didn't know I had to sign it back in Europe. Went to the Fenner. Finished that season out. Didn't really have such a great year. So going to the summer trying to figure out what my next move was going to be. Um, Malaga comes online. So I ended up going to Malaga um, in Spain. It was crazy as I had to pick between Malaga and Panathinaikos. Panathinaikos called me that summer. Dimitri's called me that summer and was like, yo, we want you to come. The coach was like, man, we think it would be great for you to come here. So I was like, man, Panathinaikos, like this – this is one of the big teams, right? Like, they, I didn't know nothing about it, but mm-hmm. I started doing research, and I found out the coach had left. Obradovich started that he had retired at that time, and, like, 10 of the players from that team had left. And so I'm saying, like, dang, like, that's a huge opportunity to go play with DMTDs, but now it, I don't think it's the same team because the coach is gone and all the players are gone. A couple of them came back. So I'm like, maybe, you know, maybe I shouldn't do that. I'm, I think I'm going to stick with Malaga because at the time, Marcus Williams that went to UConn at point guard, he, he was playing there. And I was familiar with him and a couple other guys that I knew. They had a good team, ACB. You know, if I felt like if we lost the EuroLeague, at least we still had ACB to stand on. And I was still trying to make my run back to the league at the time. Mm-hmm. So I was like, that's that's just, for me, for my career, I think AC, I think uh, Malaga would be a better move. So we go to Malaga. And from day one, bro, Coach ain't bang with me. And apparently I wasn't his pick. I don't know why. I didn't know why he didn't bang with me because, you know, I'm not that type of guy. I'm coming to try yeah. to cause I just come in and want to work hard and I want to win. I try to bring everybody with me. And so from the beginning, he just didn't like me, bro. He did not like me. He wasn't a fan of me. At one point, we almost got in a fist fight, bro, during the game. Right, like, man. in the game that we was up by 20 points. Like, we almost – we was face-to-face, nose-to-nose at a timeout, bro. At the end of the game, it was up 20 points. And he was really pushing me to that limit to try to get me to, to take that step, I guess, to do what he wanted me to do. And I was just like, I had to – Reel myself back in, get professional. Was like, man, this ain't it, you know. So, I, and I never had a bad relationship with a coach because I've always been the type of person that, or player that a coach wants on his team, you know. So, so for this, this relationship with this coach was the first time for me to experience this. And so we go back and forth, and I mean, we end up having a meeting with the GM and the manager, the, the president of the team, and I was just like, man, we don't have to like each other. We don't gotta like each other. We just gotta have the same goal. We gotta be willing to work with each other mm-hmm. to achieve this goal. I want to win. You want to win. I don't got to talk to you, you don't got to talk to me, but, you know, I'm willing to, to work with you. If you can work with me, we can do that. So we agreed on that. Cool. I'm thinking it's out the window. Um, fast forward like a month later, because this all happened in December. So the season just started October. This all happened in December. Um, I'm going to the gym 
and we played. We got the last game of the first round. And mind you, Rally, we're first in your league at the time. In our group, we're first. You know, we're tied, I think, with Maccabi. We, had, we, we were killing that year. And so I really didn't think that I had any issues within the team. I knew the coach didn't really like me, but as far as my play went, like, we were solid. I was solid. And so um, after the last game of the first round, a reporter comes up to me and they're like, yo, so is this your last game in the Malaga jersey? And I'm like, what? And I'm like, nah, I don't know. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And they're like, yeah. Um, so there are rumors that you're not going to be in Malaga anymore. And I'm like, man, I don't know. Like, we got to talk to the team. And now uh, before the game, you know, what's crazy is the coach called me to meet. And he was like, you know, we saw something that you posted on Facebook. And at the time, I had Facebook, but I didn't have a Facebook under my name. It was a mm-hmm. alias. So that I could just have my own page without all the BS that come along with it. Right. And so somebody had a Facebook page that was posting stuff about me wanting to leave Malaga because of minutes and because of I don't like the coach and I don't like the organization, all this stuff. And it was a fake page. But the coach brought me in the office before the game and said, you know, we saw this and I want you to know that there are rumors out there, but they're not true and all this. And I'm just like, man, what are y'all talking about? I don't, I got a fake, that's a fake page for one. Two, now that y'all talking about it, there must be some truth behind it because I don't know nothing about it. That's so right. After the game, you know, the reporter asked me that. So I'm like, man, I go back to the house. And I, was, I hit my agent, like, yo, what's up? They talking about, you know, I'm not going to be a Malaga no more. Is there anything going on? He's like, well, there's some rumors that you might get traded. I'm like, man, let me know what's going on, traded where? And I'm like, Panathinaikos. And I was like, Panathinaikos, like, to Greece? And I'm like, damn, I'm sitting here looking at Malaga. I mean, I'm on the beach, you know, you live in Malaga. <laughs> Paradise, you on the water. And don't get me wrong, I didn't know nothing about Athens yet. Yeah. I'm just, this is Malaga, you know, after playing in Italy, in Biela, playing in Russia, in Kuban, playing in, you know, Partizan, in Belgrade, I get a chance in Istanbul, I get a chance to play in Malaga? Yeah. I leave, so I'm sitting here like, man, what? Like, I'm getting traded, like, all right, so my agent hit me the next day, like, yeah, you got 18 hours to get out of here, because they got a game on Sunday, they want you to be there. So I got to pack hours? a whole, whole house, me, wifey, and a dog, pack up a whole house, 18 hours, bro. To bounce. And so I'm sitting here like, yo, the wifey crying, wifey in the gym, oh my God, I can't believe it. It's around her birthday time, right before Christmas and New Year's. So it's just a, it's, it's a hectic time right now. And at the end of the day, like I'm saying, like, I done bounced around from team to team now, you know, at a certain point in your career, when you don't stick with a certain team, they're like, you know, what's wrong? Why can't he stick with a team? Why every year he go into a new team? Why you can't stay with the team? I'm saying, like, man, it seemed like every year I bought to a new team. My team was just in Italy. Then it was Russia. Then it was, you know, Serbia. Then Turkey. Now Spain. And now I'm getting traded to Greece. Like, is this starting to look like a bad thing on my career? Like, am I doing something wrong? And at the time, like, I didn't realize why the trade was happening. But later to come to find out, the coach was talking bad on me. He was saying that, you know, nobody can win anything big with James gets on their team. He's not a team player. Um, and he's not a serious player. He's not a high-level player. And so when he, and he's putting this in the media. So when I'm hearing this, I'm like, damn, like, you know, and like I said, we was first place at that time at the end of the first round, going into the top 16. Like, we were solid. ACB, we weren't, you know, we was kind of in between. We was in a little bit of, like, ninth, 10th place, but it's early in the, in the year. We worried about yearly right now. We're not thinking about ACB. But I think that was the issue for Malaga, was they wanted the competition to be higher in ACB and not so mm-hmm. much yearly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the decision. And when I found out, and then to come to find out, Patrick Michaels was in the same top 16 group with Malaga. So when the, when the rumor came out, I was like, that don't make sense. Like, why are you going to sit there in the next week or so? 
so, of course, it's true. I get traded. You know, I'm out there in Greece now. Top 16 start. And now I'm sitting here trying to, like, assert myself because I feel like I'm on my last leg. Like, I don't know what to expect now. You know, I just got traded. I just got involved in a first trade, player for player trade. You know, we just let this was me. You know, I guess that's how it worked out. Was we had the exact same contract, maybe a little bit. The numbers were the same, but maybe it was some little details in the contract that had to be changed around. But other than that, the guy Andy Pankow that I got traded for happened to get MVP of the ACB the year before. So the team in Spain was cool taking him, and Panathinaikos wanted me all the way from the summertime anyway. So apparently they was cool with getting me. So it worked out like that. So apparently I was a perfect fit for Powell. Yeah, I mean, it worked out because I had seven years there. I ended up being yeah. seven years. It turned out in the beginning, I thought it was a nightmare. I didn't know what was going to happen. I thought it was going to be close to the end of my career. You know, after this. But it ended up being the best move ever. You know, it ended yeah. up being my, my starting point has taken me to another level on the European scene. On the European scene. That's, that, that's what I was going to ask you about because it's, like, it's kind of crazy how, like, you went through – you went through what's – six or seven countries in like a six-year period and then you end up finding a home at Panthenaco so it was like crazy how like at all kind of like that full circle kind of works out and then and then and at one point during your career now that you like I said we, we you at Panthenaco what point did you just stop chasing the league and you was like you know like Panthenaco is my home like Athens is my home this is where I want I want to be you know overseas when Powell kept re-signing me, shit, they kept giving me <laughs> And it was like, you know, when you're doing the European contracts, them Jones be signing early. Yeah. You know, you're signing that Jones early. Free agency don't start till July 10th. You feel me? So it's like the window ain't even there to hold out. If you want that bread that's on the table, you got you to gotta catch that Jones early. And most teams ain't going to hold on. And then, and then when I was re-signing with – Kyle, I would the, the whole thing was I would want an NBA buyout because mm-hmm. if I want if I got an NBA out then I can go so all right we'll get your NBA out, but that only give me from July 10th to July 20th, and they're not gonna let you sign with us <laughs> down. You know, summer league with an NBA team, so that's like how they get you. It's a setup. <laughs> yeah, setup. So it's like damn, I'm chasing the league, I'm chasing the league. I got a window, I got ten days. So I'm you want to sign me? Like yeah, you want to bring. Workout. I do workout, but I can't do summer league. You know, so if you gonna sign me, I need to know now. Right. <laughs> no NBA team signing nobody in July that ain't right. signing for ten mil or more, nothing like that. You feel me? So it's like I was kind of stuck in between. Like, do I need the comfortability and the security of having a job for the next couple of years, or do I take the chance of chasing the NBA dream? And so for me, at the time, I'm building a family. I got my daughter. You know, I I, I have to have the security. If I was dolo by myself. Maybe I'd have took a different route, but for me, I needed the security to know that for the next couple of years, I got a job. And I figured if I had an NBA out of my contract with the way things were going, I mean, it, shit, they came and got down, got Patrick Beverly from Spartak, from St. Yeah, Petersburg. Yeah, yeah. If the league wants you, they're going to come get you. Right. Right. Once you, they're going to come get you. And so that's just how I had to accept it. And a lot of times it's like, when you look at the big picture, we play basketball because this is what we want to do for our livelihood. We love the game. We get paid for it. We get paid a good amount of money to play at a high level and win championships. And at the end of the day, I don't want to have to do it for a logo. I don't want to be bounded by, you know, all right, I'm doing it just to say I'm in the NBA. Because, you know, living over here in Europe, bro, Kyle, we kings over this jump, bro. Facts. <laughs> Facts. Facts. Real life. Facts. Like, you talk about LeBron, like, you on a legendary status, my dude. You on a legendary Same. status. Same. Same with you. Like LeBron. You talk about guys 
like D Wade, tell about guys in the league when they walk around and they everybody tell all oh, that such and such. That's how we are in Europe. So you telling me to give that up to go to the league to sign, first of all, your first contract is gonna be minimal, especially with the way things going right now, because everybody got a big three. So you're not gonna get nothing crazy. You feel me? You're sitting on the bench, you're not getting all the minutes, you're not getting the clout, everybody, you just kinda like another dude. You know, you're not really living the dream. You're living it cause you're there. You're living it because of the perks. But is you really hooping? Right. You really have you just working out every day, you know. For guys like us, we want to hoop. We want to contribute yeah. to. The, we don't want to just be there and be like, "I was there." Nah, yeah. I was. You feel me? And so you gotta kind of weigh that. Like, what do you want? You want to do it for the logo, just to say I was in the league, but not really contribute to nothing? Or would you take the chance of making a lot of money in Europe, tax free, that you can bring home at the end of the day, and you know, healthy and be cool? I mean, yeah, you out of the way. People ain't really talking about you, but you making a lifestyle of it. Like a lot of people don't know. It's nice. You catch yourself in a nice situation. Yeah, there's some horror stories. Yeah, there's some situations we all have probably been through, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, it's worth it. You in the league, you paying for everything. You paying for your house, you paying for your car, you paying for the lifestyle, you paying for food, all that stuff. You know, it sucks having team dinners, it sucks the hotels and all this stuff, but hey, we don't gotta pay for that stuff. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, unless you're trying to do some extravagant stuff, that stuff is given to you. So you get to save up overseas. You get to save up your money. You know, Very you don't true. got to pay half of the taxes. The team paying its taxes, but it's supposed to be. You know, so that's another thing that a lot of players don't think about. And when you look at it coming into basketball, you look at the longevity that we got. We're lucky. Some people don't get more than two, three years. You know, so for us to be able to establish the money that we've been able to establish over this time, you know. Not a lot of people get the opportunity to make that much money for as long as we've been able to. So yeah, people got to right. this. You got to understand, you know, the the levels that you're at with this and the time that you have with this. You know, we're lucky to be able to do this. Most so. well, definitely. We all, uh, you know, we all played in Greece and definitely, you know, lived out there. I know you and Kyle spent a much better time and y'all had that whole rivalry. But you got to talk about now. You know, you went from Malaga, but now you're living in Athens. You got to talk about the Greek culture and all that. I remember at one point. Yeah, uh, your Instagram name was uh, Gistadobolos and all that. So yeah, <laughs> talking about you know, coach bro, you embrace you and all bro, that. you uh, he he understand like uh, he like he's a he's a that one he's a he's a legend in Greece, bro. Like yeah, you like true. you like you don't hear nothing until you hear twenty five thousand people chanting. <laughs> he got his own chant, bro. Like, <laughs> like when you hear people chant your name, bro. So don't, don't undersell it at all, man. Don't undersell it. <laughs> exactly. It's exactly. crazy because, you know, I didn't come in there like that. You feel me? It wasn't like that coming in there. I came in there midseason off a trade. You know, the guys are already there. already had the team established. So I think I kind of, out of the first year, you know, established myself as one of the fan favorites. But I was there with Lazme. You know, Lazme was a fan yeah. favorite. It was mm-hmm. It was Stefan, and, and I mean, of course, they had Diamatidis there, who was the god for them. But uh, for me, you know, it was crazy coming into a situation, not knowing what was next, feeling like I was on my last leg, and being able to turn the table around like I did and to be accepted into the team and, and the Greek culture. You know, they just liked the energy and the passion that I played with. You know, they saw the fight me. They saw that I was fighting for the win. They took it as me fighting for them. I took it as me fighting for me. I was like, yo, I'm not trying to stop playing basketball. I ain't ready to retire. Yeah. I mean, they respected it. They respected it. You know, me and the president, we ended up establishing a good relationship while I was there. And, uh, you know, they, 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 they accepted me as one of theirs. And then when that happened, you know, from that point on, everything just went up. You know, you get the connections around and then, 
you know, when I was living in Malaga, I was living on the water. When I first got to Greece, I was living in Confucius. So this is like a small city area, a small suburb area in Greece. I don't see no water. I see the tip top of mountains and stuff like that, but I don't see nothing. But now, after these first couple of seasons, I like to integrate myself in the Greek culture and within the team. I'm starting to see more in Athens. And I understand that the water's 30 minutes down the road. You feel me? I got the mountains. I ended up getting a house in the mountains. So I had a pretty good view where I could see everything the food, the people. You know, everything there is just lit. Athens, all together, because you get the best of both worlds. You got the city life, you got the beaches, you got the islands, you got the food, the people are cool. You know, it's just, it's, it's a life, man. The weather never get too cold. You know, it's perfect. It's perfect. It's one of them islands that, you know, all the celebrities and stuff go visit during the summertime, you know, when it's peak season. You know, yeah, Greece is, Greece is to be able to call that home for seven years with the family. You know, my son was born there. You know, I was able to establish some memories there. You know, won a few championships. It was cool. It was cool. So, so like you said, you, you established yourself as a winner in Greece. You know, won five Greek league titles. Um, you know, talk about that, you know, winning your first title. And also, I want you to talk about uh, the relationship with you and Nicolaitis. Because, uh, you know, every time I see y'all, he's throwing oops and you throwing it down. So, talk about right. that. Um, you know, it's crazy. One of the most memorable championships was playing Kyle and them um, my first year there. Yeah. Uh, because they had won uh, the Euro League. They yeah. won Euro League that year. I think that was our second year back to back winning that year. Yeah. And, um, we ended up winning the Greek League title that year 3 0. We swept them. They had home court advantage, you know, and that was one of those things where the whole city, and again, I wasn't in tune to how big the rivalry was. Well, yo, do you, do you remember that game? I remember that whole series. Bro, that's like, that was the craziest. Like, we got to set that, like, that, that series was crazy, bro. Like, yeah. I'm, like I'm, for real. Shit was crazy. I just remember, I remember that game specifically because they, the fans didn't allow us to finish the game, like, for, for no. people that don't know. Like, Kyle, y'all really got to talk. Y'all got to, y'all got to back it up and say how you, how y'all used to travel to each other's stadiums yeah. and stuff like that. <laughs> like, police escorts, like, give, give them the real yeah, I was, I was, yeah, we, I was going, I was going to get into that a little bit. Like, that was going to be my next question. We talk about the robbery, but, yeah. but like, yeah, like, the, the, to, to talk about like the game was like, they, we, our fans was like, listen, like, we not going to allow them to finish the game. So the game was all like, y'all was up by like 15. I think we was just starting to make a run coming back. And they rushed the floor, and they was like, "Nah, like they, they, they stopped the game." So, like we, I think it was a we were up, or we had just made a decisive stop in a bucket. And you know, Greek fans, unlike a lot of countries, some countries, you know, the fans understand basketball, and in some countries, they just like I call them popcorn eaters, where some good happen, they start clapping. Yeah, yeah, Greek yeah. fans understand basketball, and so at that play in the game, it might have been like two minutes left in the game, a little bit more. They knew the game was over. Yeah. And it was like, and they knew we were already up 2 0. And Olympiacos, was on, on. they won the yearly league. They was the best team. It was Hoover, but we, I guess it was just a matchup. You know, the way we were matched up, we were a better matchup for them. And so we had that play, timeout call. Boom. We go to timeout. We, everybody, it's loud in there. The fans booing and talking crazy. So we in the huddle. We all over the, you know, coach got the little clipboard. He writing the play. We all over the huddle like this. Next thing you know, Oh, you know them damn dynamite sticks that they be shooting at the game, and it's like boom, loud. What are them just bowling in the huddle? I'm talking about we are this close to the board, and that just like, and everybody sees it at the same time. And I mind you, we dispersed. We at half court, 
It looked like somebody came and turned on the lights and Roach just got up out of here. Boom. <laughs> like three seconds, we hit half court and that joke went off. Boom, loud. That joke go off. Like Kyle said, the fans started coming out the stand. They try to rush the floor and it's a net around the court. So it's not like they can really just get like to the court immediately. So the fan, the refs are like, man, go. We like, all right. So man, we would have never been in, you know, a piece of friendship stadium. That tunnel long as hell to get to the court. Like it's not like you get you walk to the side of the court, you off. Like, nah, you gotta go like a short little distance to get off the court to the locker room area. And when that tunnel that you go through, it stops right in front of the fan section. And so yeah. we run into the court and the tunnel opens up midway. And where it opens up at is right in front of the fan section, man. Them dudes, they drop a fire hydrant out in the tunnel. I'm <laughs> boom, fire hydrant bust. It's like white smoke everywhere. You can't see. You can't see nothing. We trying to get out there. Security running on the court. We running off the court. We trying to get the lock on. So everybody get the lock on. Everybody jersey, half white, tool, whatever. You know, they like, all right, yeah, the bombs going off. Police trying to go on there and shut everything down. Everybody in there out of breath just making sure everybody okay. Like, is everybody here? We sit in the locker room 15, 20 minutes later. Kyle and, and Spanula's Billy, they come in the locker room and they just start dapping us up. And they're like, congratulations. And we like, man, what y'all talking about? They're like, man, it's not over. Like, the fans ain't going to leave, so we had to forfeit. And basically, like, they fans was like, we not going to raise a trophy on their court. That's yeah, how big the property is. they like, it's not going down. This game is not and they was hot, man. The fans, they was trying to get in the locker room. I feel like they was attacking y'all, Kyle. Like, I, I remember they was going after their cars or something like that in the parking lot. It, it, it like, the fans, the rivalry increased. Different. You got to talk, you gotta talk about that. Like, you got to talk about, like, spend some time on that. Like, from because for me, it's a different. I was I was on the Alcos for two years, and you was on the opposite side for Pantanaco. So you got to talk about, like, the, the rivalry, and you got to talk about what the rivalry meant to you. And you know, kind of what means you? Because at first, like when I first got there, I can say from my side, I was like, man, like I don't. I was like, I play, but like I understand the rivalry, but it didn't really matter that much to me. And then when yeah. I got there, it gets to the point now where like, like my coach now, he's he's Panthenico, so like I talk trash to him all day. And it's like I see him, I'm just like, man, like I don't like you, bro. Like, cause like where I see anytime I see Panthenico, like it automatically it's like, yo, like I just had that like. I don't know what it is, bro. It's like when a bull see red. When I see green, it's like it's just ain't green to me now. So I'll talk about it from your side, bro. I mean, for me, like, okay, I mean, I came up playing robberies, you know, with the Duke Maryland whole thing, or you know, being in San Antonio with Dallas and Houston. You know, you got those matchups where you, you have like rivalries and being in uh Benner playing against Galatasaray, that rivalry was crazy. Yeah. Um, partisan arrest, I got a crazy rivalry. At the time I was a partisan arrest, I wasn't as good, so the rivalry wasn't so strong. But coming into Panathinaikos and Olympiacos, you know, I always heard about it, but I never knew about it. I never, you don't understand it until you actually get it. Like, it just feels like you're in a lion's den, you know. Like, in, in both ends, when you're the home team and when you're the away team, like, it's, it's hot in that gym, you know, between the fans. And like, he was saying earlier on the way, on the way to the game, like, they shut down roads. You got police officers, you know, riot police. They're standing on the side of the roads like every 100 feet. Yeah. Just boom, 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 boom. Just so like fans can't try no dumb mess on the buses. You got the security buses riding on both sides. So can't nobody mm-hmm. get those. You know, it's crazy. It's that serious. The whole city shut down when these games come up. And when, right now, Olympiacos ain't in the Greek League, but when they were, 
you play, you had the chance to play damn near 10 times a year. Yeah. Especially if you mess around and get caught up in the same EuroLeague group. Yeah. One another thing. You yeah. don't catch playoffs in EuroLeague and then playoffs in Greek League and then playoffs in the Cup. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you will play at least 10 times a year considering that. You feel me? So that's a lot of games against the same team. It's a highly talented team. You know, you're not playing against a team that's just bummy. Like, you're talking about EuroLeague. Some EuroLeague champion. You're talking about playing against the best teams in Europe across the board and having to come back in Greek League at the end of EuroLeague season. And play again. And have to play against another EuroLeague team. It's not like just yeah. another top-level team in Greek League. It's, yeah. it's a battle. It's a dogfight, man. It's a dogfight. But them games are lit, man. The rivalry, it's so huge. And I, I never – for me – I got to the point where I used to hate talking about Olympiacos because it was like, it got to such a big game. It was like, whatever happened with Olympiacos, that's all that mattered. If Olympiacos yeah. won, we would be pissed off. Yeah. If Olympiacos lost, we would be happy as hell. That's <laughs> much more special for me when we beat each other my first year, Kyle, and y'all won the early because we were sick. I, like, the organization was sick. They was like, well, uh, first of all, when y'all made it to the fucking it was like how y'all made it there was like all right. Then y'all end up beating, I think y'all beat Chester. Then yeah. y'all beat Fit. And it was like, all right. Like, and everybody was like, man, I hope Madrid wins. I hope Madrid wins. And I was like, nah, I want Olympiacos to win. Let's win. You're gonna, you're gonna jinx the season and they're gonna win everything and they're gonna do it. I'm like, nah. I said, let them win because they win the Euro League and then we beat them here. It's better for us. That was my mentality going into uh. it was like, nah, if Olympiagos win, they're going to be like, well, you're winners and y'all are losing. So that's, it's, everything is petty. If Olympiagos sign two players, and then they go in the media and start saying like, oh, we signed two players, what kind of like, well, they're going to sign, sign two players. players. <laughs> <laughs> they do that. It's a competition. Who could one up the next? So like, it's, and it's between the ownerships of the team. You know, it's bigger. It's bigger than basketball. It's yeah. not just, you know, it's bigger than sports. It's like, it's, it's something between the two teams. It's families, I guess, go. Yeah. But like it, and it, and it trickles down to the fans. You know, you can you if you drive down Athens, you drive down that main street from PC Avenue. You can drive from one side to the other, and on one side you see spray paint green. Once you get to a certain midpoint, you know, in Athens, once you hit that Kolonaki area, you get past Kolonaki, you start heading down. All that spray paint start turning red. Or if you do see any green spray paint, it's exactly it's exactly red. So it's like it's like it's like Crips and Bloods, low key. Like it's yeah, like yeah. Sure. fans really be beefing. Like people die over this stuff. Yeah, like, yeah. I remember being in clubs sometimes, and I I remember getting rolled up on by some Olympiacos fans. This is one of the dopest moments that I remember. <laughs> I got rolled up on some Olympiacos fans in the club one night. They was like, "Yeah, we got you one on one." Basically, it was like five of them, four or five of them. And I'm like in the club, like pale by myself. Like I ain't with nobody that I know from the team. Like. But if it's one of those moments, fuck it, it's one of those moments. I'm going to have to get with it. Like, I'm going to catch two of y'all for sure. <laughs> At moment where I'm like, all right, by the size of the middle of the floor, they stand in front of me, like three Panther Nicholas fans come up on the side of me. And they start speaking <laughs> stuff. Oh, my God, this one like that. I'm sitting here looking like, yeah, what's up? What's up, Plus the fans, they kind of dispersed. They like, all right, so ain't nothing gonna happen right here. So I'm like, all right, so yeah, I know I'm good now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> chilling. It was like that, but uh, you know, it's it's really like that. They they beef out here over this. It, it, the whole city started when Olympiacos and Panthers play. Everything stops. Yeah. If you lose that game, it's like losing. 
you lost a family member or something, you know, it's like a funeral. Yeah, you can't go outside the next day. It's like people looking at you like, like. Man, we lost y'all one time, man. We got cussed out so bad. The president was like, man, I got people calling me talking about I missed my daughter's birthday to watch this game. Birthday to watch this game? Like, you tripping. You might have had to catch the stat line on the phone, bro. You just, <laughs> nah, they, they take it serious, bro. These fans out here, it's like they love basketball more than we do. They just can't play it. Yeah, <laughs> super powerful. Well, they want to play it for them. And that's where it comes from. Yeah, that's facts. That's facts. Uh, Mike, Mike kind of hit it on it a little bit, but um, you played with two of the, you know, you caught Yamadia sort of tail end of his career, but, you know, you 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 had a great connection with him even, even during that time. And then now with Nick. So talk about, you know, both of them, um, you know, both of them, you know, as point guards and why they, you know, why they is considered so, such great point guards. And then talk about, your, you know, your connection and relationship with them both. Man, all right. So, you know, I've, I've been blessed with the opportunity to play with a lot of good guards, you know, throughout my career. DMT's um, being one of them and Nick Lawton being another one. Um, and coming in, DMT was probably the best point guard going down you know, in your league history, for all I know. If you look at his resume, you know, for all the guys that don't know about him, all the people that don't know about him, it, it, it's, it's unlimited the stuff that he's been able to do. And playing on the court with a guy like that makes the game easy, man. It makes the game easy when you play with guys that understand basketball and everything moves at one time. And when you have a guy who can just sit back and impact the game without having to score, and you got a guy like us who got athletic, it makes it easy, you know. That connection is easy, and those guys like being with and Nick, they're fearless when it comes to making passes. They want to make the pass. So it's just like as soon as you make that eye contact, or as soon as you make that read, you know, he's reading the same thing you read. And as big, we like, damn, my man playing high. I got to slip to the rim. I hope he does a lot. And being with mind and Kalada's mind, like, slip. That goddamn <laughs> slip, man. I hate that slip, man. That goddamn slip, bro. Like, <laughs> like Bro, you called me on that slip so many times. I'm like, and I know it's coming to him. Like, all right, here it comes. Here it comes. Next thing I know, I'm like. Everybody does. <laughs> My thing is, it's a science, though. It's physics, bro. There's no way you're going to jump off your heels. You backpedaling. And if you high, if you too high, you got to be low. If you too high, I can get it every time. And he, the guard got to throw it. And the guard confident enough to just throw it and know I'm going to catch it. There's no way anybody can get to it. And all the times. My man would always be the too high, and I'd be like, even if he's right there, he's not going to jump high as me, jumping yeah. towards the basket, with you jumping backwards. Yeah. Not going to, oh, we're going to get two points out of this. That's two yeah. points every time, once or twice a quarter. And, you know, having guys like that, like Demetrius and Nick, it just, it just, it makes the game so much easier, man. Those guys got a vision like Peyton Manning. Like, it's just like, their reading is crazy. No looks, the way they can just impact the game. Like I said, without scoring is just, you know, that that's a that's a lost art, you know, because now the game is developed with just scoring point guards. Everybody wanna get forward. Everybody wanna, you know, the guy bring up the ball, come up the pick and roll, gotta shoot it, or gotta make the play instead of making the hockey assist, you know. Those guys, they 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 really impact the game a lot, man. They really impact the game a lot. They were great playing well, you know, the com the the combinations that we were able to put together on the floor. Like I said, it came with just being reads. It came with trust in the fact that, you know, I was athletic enough to catch the passes and it came with me trusting that he was going to throw it. Um, mm -hmm. I wasn't going to let the ball go out of bounds. Even if I couldn't dunk it, it was just like, I'm going to come down with it. I'm going to save it. I'm going to save the possession. Right. And those guys respect that, you know. Even if I missed the pass, it's like if it hit my hand and I missed it, it's like my bad. Even if it was a bad pass, I'd never get like a bad pass. Mm -hmm. Just so they could throw it again. 
mm-hmm. just so they can play the game. I remember first time I started playing with different teams, I cut back door. We were playing Berlin, I think. And I was like, I was doing this, throw it up. And after and then two days, he threw it. And after the game, he was like, James, he was like, what the fuck is this? He was like, stop doing this. Like, I see you, just go. He was like, just go. I see it. I'm running the play and I'm sitting here waiting for you to go. And you sitting here doing this. And I was just like, yo, that's when I was like, okay. I ain't got to say nothing else. I just got to just play my game. He going to find me. He going to find me. He going to find everybody. That was his thing. Was just like if you if you play the game, you run, if you find an advantage, he gonna find you. Nick gonna find you. That's just they're not scared to make that turnover, but they also trust that you're going to play. All right, so you got to talk about you know last season playing under uh, Coach Rick Pitino, um, him coming over from the collegiate ranks. So how was that? How did he adjust? You know, coaching pros uh, and being in Greece. Um, I think it was a new road for everybody. You know, because it's not uh, common that American coaches come to Europe and be the head coach of a huge team, huge organization for one. Two, most of the domestic players, you know, there's that language barrier. It's that culture barrier. It's that thing, you know. And so you have the foreigners that are on your team that struggle with that when you deal with coaches that are from the domestic area or from a foreign country where you don't understand it. So bringing Rick Pitino in at the time that he came, you know, we were in a bad position. I think we were – 13th or 14th position. Like, we were way out of the playoffs. We was playing so bad. Like, the game we were losing. And I don't even understand why we were losing because we, losing, we had a good team. Yeah, you know, talent. The coach at the time, Javi Pasquale, who was the coach of Barcelona for a lot of years, he was a great coach. You know, he won a couple titles for us in the Greek League title, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, I didn't understand why we were playing as bad as we were. But, you know, Rick came in and he just kind of changed the – the philosophy of the way we were thinking that year. I don't know what it was, but just how he came in, the American players vibe with it because it was just that you had that vibe in the locker room. You had somebody that could really talk to you. You can understand exactly what they're saying and what they want. You know, mm-hmm. that was huge for us. And then, I mean, for the Greek players, they were more Americanized than they were, just like don't speak English and stuff like that. So, I mean, they benefited from it. But you also had somebody who had experience as a coach, the experience as an NBA coach, his experience as a college coach, he's a Hall of Fame. So he was reading everything, and he was huge on numbers. His thing was statistics. You know, he looked at the stat sheet. He could dissect the whole stat sheet as to why somebody lost games. And, um, you know, his biggest thing was being aggressive on defense. A lot of people know about deflections and getting hands and trying to get steals and stuff like that, you know, playing the passing lanes. He wasn't a big offensive X's and O's type coach. He expected the players just to go out there and play hard. Who go get a basket. You know, your bigs. Need to get position. Everything had to be fundamentally sound. Set good screen. We're going to get good shots. He was like, you know, our percentage of three points are so low because we take bad shots. It's not that we got bad three-point shooters. He was like, even in the NBA, if Steph Curry and Ray Allen, those guys are taking contested threes, they're not going to make 50% of their threes. They're probably going to make maybe in the high 30s, but that's still a low percentage for shooters like that. So, you know, we got to stop taking contested shots. We got to start moving the ball more to a point where we're getting better shots for our shooters. So that was one getting our bigs touches because we weren't getting our big touches before. It was more guard-oriented game. So, in transition, we were looking for early touches for our bigs. So, that kind of helped the inside-out offense for us. You know, that changed how we were playing as a team. And we started to build on that. And I think we needed to run off, like, eight wins, I think, to even get to the playoffs in the last uh, part of the season. And we ended up running off seven. We ran off seven and lost the last game to Madrid at home and a buzzer beater from Rudy Fernandez at, like, half or something yeah. crazy. 
I'm crazy. Feel me? And being said, like not being in a playoff position to being in a playoff position against two teams that we possibly could beat. Like we had a chance. We played, you know, no offense. We played Chester that year. We beat them at our place, and then we went and won at their place during Twice. that win streak. You know, mm-hmm. off the glass was a crazy shot, but we felt like we had a good matchup with Chester. Madrid, not so much. But at the same time, you know, we competed in that game, even though we lost to the buzzer. We knew we could compete with them. Win, I don't know, but we knew we could compete with them. So that's what we ended up matching with in the playoffs. Had we won that game, we ended up matching with Chester. Who knows? Maybe we beat Chester in the playoffs, and Chester ended up winning that year. They ended up winning the finals that year. I don't know how it would play out, but you just never know. And so Rick was able to come in and turn it around within, like, four weeks. He turned that whole thing around within, like, four weeks. Four or five weeks, we just had a whole different team mentality. And it was just like win, win, win. Once we started winning, it was like, all right, how many can we win in a row? Yeah. Uh, it was like boom, 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 boom. And then you understood why he was a Hall of Fame coach. You know, he had hella stories. He got hella experience. And he understands what he's looking for. And he knows how to get the best out of his players. You know, that's just something that – you know, that, that can't be taught. That's just something you got or you don't got. You know how to motivate people. You know, you can be a coach. You know how to talk to people, you can be a coach. You got to be able to motivate people. Yeah. I feel like that Cheska game was a turning point for y'all because I was actually at that game when, uh, y'all, you know, y'all beat Cheska at, at Oka. And that, that was, was a, uh, Rick's that first game. That yeah, was his first game. Yeah, first game. Yeah. Yeah. I felt was, like he came there. In, you know, he was on some, like, for him it was a new experience because he had never coached a year before, but. Again, he coached at Louisville, he coached at Kentucky, he coached at Boston Celtics, you know, so he been in some crazy arena with some wild fans. Right. So we played Tesco, his first game as a head coach in Europe, and he's in Athens, and he's still a wild like this. Uh, so he felt like he back in Rupp Arena, you know, uh, he, he in Showtime, he really feeling this. I think at one point, this month, he had HBO come out and do like a, a special. <laughs> <laughs> tradition of what Panathinaikos basketball was like. He brought it back. He brought that in that short spurt. He brought belief back. It was crazy. And you understood in that moment what it's like to be a hot, why he's a hot fan coach. You know, and I see the difference in all the coaches I've been coached by. You know, the difference in coaches like Gary Williams and Greg Popovich and, Al- and, uh, and uh, Rick Pitino, um, as opposed to some of these other coaches I've been coached by that just aren't on the same level. It's a difference. Yeah. Now, talk about um, your, your departure. You, obviously, you left um, Panthenaco. So, talk about, you know, that and then talk about, you know, your, de- your decision to, uh, you know, go to Red Star. And then was it, you know, after seven seasons being with one team and wearing one uniform, was it different that first time, you know, you, you put that Red Star uniform on? Did it kind of feel, you know, a little bit strange to you? Yeah, it did. I mean, it felt different because, I mean, you're just going into a whole new scenario. Yeah. You know, like I said, seven years in Greece. I had the same thing, you know. I didn't have to take nothing home at the end of the season. I would leave my stuff in the crib. Be like, yeah, I'll be here for a couple weeks and I'll be back. You know, <laughs> you got to pack everything up and find, you know, figure yourself out again. You know, you got to try to get accepted by the team. You got to try, you know, uh, you start over from square one and try to insert yourself as a, you know, player that can help the team win. Um, and so it was a different vibe, you know, not going back to Greece that year. I mean, this year. Um, I didn't expect it, but I mean, everything got its end, you know. Everything comes, 
you know, has its time. I feel like I have my moments of power, and I think that, you know, that kind of just ran its course. Like, maybe it was just time for me to make my move, you know, make my move and go on. And so Red Star was a choice. I had a choice to go to a few other teams. Um, I had a couple of other options. I think it was Vincent. Maybe Zenit, and I think it was, I can't, maybe Milan. I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, I, I had some teams that had offers and I, I had choices that I could make. And then Red Star came in. And so my thing was, you know, playing seven years at Powell and organized basketball under a team that's, you know, solely about winning championships, not even losing games, it's championships. You know, yeah. losing one game like the end of the world. Like, they want to win championships. So now right. I get a chance to decide, you know, what's my next move in my career. I've been seven years in this role. I've been seven years in this thing where it was just that important, that much stress. I wanted to go to a situation where I could just have fun playing basketball again. You know, get back to being me. You know, I came in on power. What got me, what got me signed and stayed there was the energy that I brought. You know, the level of play and the competitiveness that I had. And, you know, going on throughout the years, I had to stick into a role of eventually being that glue guy, being a captain, being a guy that holds everybody together, not being that guy. So when I had the chance to sign a rest, I'm like, they got a good fan base, you know, it's a smaller level team. We're not the aspiration to win a yearly title. So that means that, you know, we're, gonna, we're competing in the yearly, so I get a chance to play on a high level still. So with that being said, you know, I get a chance to get Barnes. This year I get a chance to have fun. You know, not really be like, oh, we lost the game. Well, damn, no big deal. We're yeah. good. You know, that, that type of mentality. Not that I don't want to win, but it's like, you know, it feels good to just go out there and hoop sometimes. Just go hoop. Yeah. You know, especially after for so long not getting the opportunity to do that. Um, and so that was my whole reason of choosing to go to Red Star this year out of all the teams that I had a choice to go to, you know. Um, leaving power wasn't easy, but, you know, I mean, all the decisions that I had to make, I mean, this was the decision I thought was best. Right, so, you you know, you're coming down towards the, the end of your career. I don't know if you got three, four years left. But, you know, what's what's next for you? You know, what, what are you planning on doing once the basketball stops dribbling for you? When basketball stops, I want to get into coaching, honestly, all honestly. I want to get into coaching, man. I, like, like I said in, earlier in the interview, uh, Gary Williams was one guy, was the guy who was still, you know, wanted to be a student of the game and understanding basketball and learning basketball. You know, and throughout the years after him, watching video and being coached by so many different coaches, you know, so many different levels, I've just been able to chance to see so many different kinds of philosophies. You know, I've been with different players. I've been on teams where, you know, I never started the season, but finished the season with the same player, the same coach. You know, so I've seen almost everything. I can never say you saw everything, but I've seen almost everything. And I just have an understanding of what it takes to win. I've seen it. You know, I've been a part of it. And I get it. And so that's just something I want to be able to do. As a player, I want to win at the highest level. Uh, unfortunately, I ain't been as lucky as Kyle to be able to hold up the year with Trophy. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I've been able to hold up some titles. I've never won right. the I understand what it takes to win. And... I want to be able to pass that on. You know, I feel like that's one thing that we can do with our wisdom as players and as adults, you know, to the younger generation is to be able to give back what we learn, the knowledge that we got through our careers and through our life, what we can get on to the next generation that's coming through. And I feel like I could do that through coaching. You know, I'm in basketball. That's one thing I really want to do. I want to do it at the highest level. I want to win at the highest level. You talk about the, the younger generation. So, um, you know, you, have, you had to give advice to the, you know, younger generation, young Hoopers out there. Um, what's, what's a few things you would say? You know, I would say follow your Everybody got a different road. Right. You know, my path, I didn't know what my road was. I was just kind of going along as, as the road was being built. 
you know, but understanding that, you know, I wanted to get to the NBA. I didn't know how, you know, NBA didn't really turn out as like I thought it would, but my career still ended up turning out being really good. You know, I established myself, you know, playing basketball through basketball, staying motivated and still continuing to live my dream. You know, just stay focused on that. No matter what anybody says, just understand that you got a road that you got to travel. Nobody else is going to go down that road with you. And everybody's road is different. You know, you see guys like me and Kyle came up same time. We worked out. <laughs> yeah. 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 And you see the road that Kyle went, and you see the road that I went, and you know, when we meet at today, and you see Kyle achieve so much, and you know, not reaching where he thought he was gonna reach was the NBA at the time, you know, he's better than what he was gonna be if he probably would did that for all I know. You feel me? Look at the situation I'm in. I'm Same. better well off more so. Who knows what I would have been like if I went to the league? I probably would be ratchet as hell. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know. You know, it's just like, you know, the world that we travel, we travel for a reason. You know, you live these experiences, you know, enjoy these experiences. You know, one thing my agent told me was, you know, we're all dealt uh, a card, you know, a card uh, hand. You know, when you're about to play cards, you're dealt a hand. And no matter what those cards are, you got to play it. You never know how it's going to turn out. You never know how it's going to turn out, but you got to play that hand that you dealt. And I remember when he told me that, and it was when I was about to go to Italy. When I was about to go to Biela, and Greg Powers told me to go to Italy, and I was just like, now this wasn't how it was supposed to be. And he was just like, man, calm down. He was, Bill Duffy was just trying to wrap me up. And he was just like, man, we all dealt a deck hand. You know, we dealt, we dealt cards, man. And we may not like them when we first get them. He was like, but then they might be all the cards that we needed. For all we know. Right. So you never know. Everything don't look good in the beginning. But, you know, you got to travel the world. You got to travel. At the end of the day, you're going to be on the top of your game. You're going to let your game and continue to put the work in. Don't think that it's just going to. You know, once you become a professional basketball player, once you go to college, that your work is done. Like, nah, it's more work. It's right. more work once you get there. Once you get into, you know, the rhythm of playing basketball on a professional level, because it's always the next contract. But you want to just play one year? You just want to say I did it? Like, nah, it's always the next contract. It's always the next championship. You know, Kyle, mine, he got one. He one one enough. You know, he had to get more. And so that's got to be the motivation that any young cats coming up, like. It's other guys out here trying to trying to eat. And you go run into cats like me and Kyle who try to eat too. And so you're gonna be willing to work, you're gonna be willing to put put yourself through all the stuff you gotta go through. Living in Europe ain't easy. You gotta deal with a lot of stuff off the court too as well. You know, so it's stuff that you gotta be able to manage, stuff that you gotta be able to think about and put yourself in a position to be open to everything that comes your way. But understand that that's your road that you gotta travel. Put yourself through that situation and make the best of it. Accept it. Don't fight it, make the best of it. And you know. Better things will happen. Once you accept your situation, you know, the sky's the limit for what can happen. So, oh, man, I, I just want to say I, I appreciate you, bro. I appreciate you, you know, taking the time, um, you know, stepping in and talking with us. And I, I before we go, man, I got to say I definitely appreciate you, too, because, like you said, we came up in this together, man. It's like like to see somebody that you, you know, that you really was in the grind with and the mud with, like, from the beginning and to see, right. like, you know, that you, see how your career's path and, you know, how our careers have kind of gone similar. I just want to say I appreciate you, man. And like, secretly, like you've always kind of been like the benchmark. Like you know, I've been seeing my like I watch your games, I watch what you do. I was like, man, yo, yo, JG did this, man. I got, I gotta go out. I gotta do this. So Panthenagos doing this, I gotta go out and do this. Or even yeah. some of the moves you make, like you make a, a dunk, and I'm like, yo, he 33, he's still doing this. I was like, bro, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta get my yoga. I gotta do something, bro. I gotta, I gotta keep it. I gotta keep it going. Or even I'm gonna tell a story. I'm gonna last summer. You throw you don't, you don't really throw like a lot of workout pick like workout picks and stuff like that. I'm like you working out. 
But you threw yeah. a pickup in, on the on the gram, and you was like in the gym, and you was like sweating. And I, I was like, yo, JG working? I was like, yo, I gotta go to the gym right now, bro. I was like, I gotta get to it, bro. I was like, I can't be sitting here. I was like, my guy working. So it's I was really that's yeah, where, bro. That's where respect come from, man. And that was one of the motivations behind us when we beat y'all in the first championship. I think I won the EuroLeague was we was in a video session one time, though, and our coach was like, Kyle Hines is the best ball handling big man in Europe. <laughs> And we was in video. Me and Steph was sitting in video like, what did he just say? <laughs> he said, Kyle has the best big man. Because, I mean, Kyle, you can get the ball over the break. Let's keep it real. Ain't too many bigs in Europe is doing that. You pushing the break the whole way. You finishing. You done dunked a few people that I know. You know, you you definitely, like, you as a big, it's a position that you play, you can do that. And so, Appreciate but we took that personal. Because it's like, man, nah. They ain't the best big. We done matched up. We done had our games. You know, they don't want us. Like, we matched up and we done had our battle so much that for somebody to say that this is the best big is something in the game, that's insulting yeah. to us. Exactly. exactly. We got to get out there and we got to work. Now now exactly. it's a time. Mode. And like exactly. I said, off the court, look at us. We cool, man. We yeah. do it. You know, but on the court, like, it was head up. We was going to tackle. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right, though, bro. We got that. We still got that old school mentality. Like, me, like, even like, like off the court, like we cool, but like on the court, even like when it comes like the shaking hands on the court, like like it's, me and JG, we don't even shake hands, like we don't even talk, like we be like layers of focus, and like, like it be, right, <laughs> be crazy. Right. Talking, like you talking about your homie, this yeah. your homie, like he not even there, like bro. We talk about it later, bro. Like we grinding that ball out there, me and Kyle, we going head up to die for that ball. Yeah, with it, it's like that. Yeah. Whenever we got to come up with it. And we know this all for the good of the game. We ain't never did nothing dirty. We know it's all clean, it's all love, but at the end of the day, it's we competitors. That's what we do. Right. It's respect. I respect the grind that you do. I respect how hard you play. That's, right. that's our relationship, bro. That's our relationship. I wouldn't respect you. I wouldn't even do this podcast if you uh, weren't that type of player, bro. I appreciate it, bro. Have- I wouldn't, we wouldn't have this conversation. Same. I would, I would, we wouldn't even, I wouldn't even ask you if I don't respect you. You already know what it is, bro. So. All right, bro. I appreciate you. I'm going to let you go. Yeah, I know we've been on here for a minute. Um, You know, tell, tell family, tell everybody. You know what I mean? So I know our wife, so they talk all the time. So, you know, tell, you know, tell them we, tell everybody I still low. And I mean, hope we link up soon. Like I said, I got to get that mumbo sauce. You know what I mean? You got to take me to the authentic spot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. I'm gonna put y'all on. We're gonna link up for sure. All right. All right, bro. Yeah. Appreciate you, man. Take it easy. I take care. Stay safe. All right. You too. Yes,